Welcome to another episode of the Emulsion Podcast, a show for chefs who want to think better, increase their performance, and believe that it's possible to take lessons from what others have learned. I am your host, Justin Kana, and I'd love to continue the conversation with you from this episode on my online circle community. There you can share your two cents and learn about supporting the show on justinkana.com slash support. For your convenience, it's also linked up in the description of your podcast player. Let's get into the show. My guest today is Chef Stephen Clare. Stephen owns and operates Salt and Acid, a photography service focused on food service clients, but also providing services like event production and menu development and video services as well. How I know Stephen, though, it dates back to both of our times at the Culinary Institute of America in upstate New York, where he became, if I'm not mistaken, one of the first students to complete an externship at Alinea and return to school for that education, which for me at the time was like incredibly interesting because that's where I wanted to do my externship. And on top of that, he's also taken on work with professional athletes to plan consistent and nutritionally optimized meals for these high performers. If you enjoy this interview, I absolutely recommend you listen to my conversation with Andrea Correa. She also has a fascinating story of crossing over from staging at places like El Bui and working at Noma to becoming a really well-experienced trapeze performer. So that might, uh, you know, make your ears perk up if you're interested in these types of types of like crossing over from performance in kitchens to performance in athletics. And if at any point you'd like to pause and check out Stephen online or any of the specific linkable things that we discussed, please do check out the show notes, which are always available in the description of this podcast down below or always available on justincona.com slash media. Thanks for being here, man. I'm excited to see you. My pleasure, man. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's been, it's been a long time. We've known each other, what, 10 years? It's coming up on that time. And you've yeah. been, the, the times that we've run into each other have been either like very critical decision points for me or just like hilarious run-ins in random locations when like we didn't plan on seeing each other but yeah. you know we end up seeing each other and you know i thought a fun place to, that we could start is to dissect a compliment i'm about to give you because i don't think that i had the words to articulate it when i when we first met like you said almost 10 years ago but you have this incredible kind of get after it take it on the chin yep, things are going to go wrong, but we'll learn from it and show up tomorrow type of confidence about you and how you approach work and even how you interact with authority figures. Where does that come from for you? I think that comes from combat sports. So I grew up um, in high school and in college I wrestled. And um, I think, you know, you you, you kind of said something that has been a, a reoccurring theme throughout my life, which is I think we I think we intuitively understand things and then a beautiful thing about aging and a really wonderful thing about like mentorship is later you start to put good language around these principles, right? Like almost like like you know, nobody wants like a poetic twenty year old. Correct. Right? Like that's kind Correct. of cringeworthy. But like now that I'm so many years older than that, like people wanna hear me say things like, you know, like I was helping a, a young fighter who's he's a savage. He's a, he's, he hasn't been training anywhere near as long as me. We probably weigh the same and he manhandles me and it's, it's infuriating and embarrassing. And I was helping him get ready for a competition. And, you know, like part of me was relishing in his suffering through the weight cut and stuff like that. But he kept talking about how scared he was just like, Oh man, like, you know, and I told him like, there's nothing you're going to do in three weeks to make yourself a better fighter. What you can do is get good sleep, have a good, easy weight cut, 
warm up every day, and then just get in there and believe in your hands. And so when you're saying like how I interact with authority figures and things like that, and you know the confidence, I think it comes from there's nothing you're gonna do in a short period of time to improve, right? But you can, and but you can just what can you control? You control your stress levels to a certain to a certain degree, right? Like. You know, we've all worked in places where every day walking to work, you're like, yep, today's the day. Today's the day they're going to fire me. And every night walking home, like, I cannot believe I didn't quit my job tonight, right? And like, you can only do that for, like, a year, right? Right. And then, right. Like, just, you know, you're out of lubricant and things overheat and <laughs> gaskets. Blow. Yeah. But, you know, that's why cars have a red line. Like, you can get here, but you can't stay here. Right. And I think it comes from just understanding that, like, you're going to win some, you're going to lose some, but like, just get in there and believe in your hands, you know? And if you're a cook, get in and believe in your hands. Like believe that like, no matter what that, whatever is printed, you'll be able to take care of it. Like it might not be in the time horizon that people expect from you, you know? Um, but it, it's, it, you, you'll, you'll survive, you know? And the first time ever that I realized like that wasn't enough was like a cripple. Like that was like my whole philosophy. And then to find out like, that's even that's not enough like i mean grant Atkins pulled me aside one time and was like everyone who doesn't get fired makes it through service that's not a benchmark i'm looking for the guys that make it look easy he's like and steven you don't make it look easy and i was just like <laughs> oh like you know yeah so it's like after that like i think you know i think first you i i think confidence there's there's like confidence and then there's like the finesse aspect totally right and and I, I guess, I guess a big part of it is like understanding that, like, even at your worst, if you're trying and if you try hard and you care, you're probably going to get a lot of second and third chances, yeah. and you'll have that opportunity to polish, right? And so I just very early, I, I worked, you know, I competed athletically, and then I just worked really hard in the kitchens, and I was always given opportunities. And, you know, I, I can't think of a single stage I went on where, where like, the door was closed. Like, there, I mean, I staged at Blue Hill at Stone Barns. They definitely did not offer me a job. But they were like, hey, like, you know, we want to keep an eye on you as you develop. We think you have a lot of potential. Like, they were very nice. They're very, very nice. But, you know, and I, I've been fired. You know, I've been fired from jobs. Um, but, it, but also it's, like, one of those things where, like, you kind of, you know, you kind of quit, you kind of got fired, you know. Sure, sure, sure. The interesting point is, and this is literally just flashing back into my brain now, is I, I'm almost certain you told me a very similar, um, I know that you were talking about, like, in the micro, in the moment, on the performance of that night, but you gave me some very similar advice around how I should be thinking about an externship at Alinea. From the sense of, like, you're not going to come out the other side of that being able to, like, run a serve or like open another linea you know like don't expect to learn how to cook at this externship and the most striking part about that time and just speaking with you as a student who was also kind of like one rung above the ladder of where i was from that sense like yeah we were both still culinary school students and again i don't mean to like psychoanalyze you but like it was all very direct information like you didn't seem to be parroting information that you had read from a book 
or advice you had received from a mentor and you were just kind of like passing it down to me in this kind of like, you know, Aesop's fables kind of way. It was very much so like, here's how I process this experience and here's what you should be thinking about. And it was like super, super valuable. I don't know if you have anything else to share there, but that was like, I really, that was unlike anything that I had ever kind of like dealt with at that time in my career. You know, I, I think in a lot of aspects like that, I, I forget how you got a hold of me. I think you like slipped a note in my mailbox, which is like amazing that I ever opened that mailbox. Like those CIA mailbox. I can't remember if there was a reason we had to open them. I can't uh, remember if like there was like a grade so. that would, yeah. So like all the more miraculous. Cause like, I'm not somebody who like, I'm still, I'm 38 years old and I'm not diligent about that shit now. Like people will be like, did you get my birthday card? And it's a month after my birthday. I'm like, oh, I should probably go check the mail. Well, it was, yeah, like, so. it was like career services had told me. And again, this is like, you, you know, CIA culture. It's like, they don't want any of the students to get unpaid externships because it's just like the return to school rate is abhorrently low. And it's just like, it's not a good look for them that they're sending students out into these unpaid uh, experiences when, you know, so much of the draw to that school and most schools at that time was like, you're going to be able to graduate and make a lot of money, uh, X, Y, Z. And so it was like, I was like, so is there anyone who has done an externship that I can talk to about this? And they're like, in, in such a movie way, they're like, well, there's this one guy. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> and I was like, okay, so I have to, I have to find this person. And, yeah. you know, like directory nonsense, I think, you know, like different blocks, you know, it, you basically don't talk to anybody outside of your block unless you run yeah. into someone in the, in the dining hall. And so, yeah, I just, I, I think I wrote a letter and I brought it to the mailroom and I said, Hey, if there's a mailbox with the name, Stephen Claire, like I, can you put this in there, please? And that's yeah. how we got in touch, which was, which was kind of crazy. Yeah. And I think I even told you, I was like, I was like, I mean, there's serious pros and there's serious cons, but like, you're just I'm like, all it's going to do is just toughen you up. Like yep. you're just going to learn to work really hard and take a lot of abuse, which is a skill. You know, it's a skill. A lot of people don't have, you know, I've seen, I've seen like kids throw stuff in the garbage and storm out. And I'm like, that was your breaking point? Like, oh my God. Like, I've I, I've had heroes say so much worse to me. You know, like... I, I don't know if... Um, I've just... It, it tends to resurface on the internet every, I don't know, three to six months whenever people are feeling, you know, bored uh, on, on Twitter or Facebook or wherever they're, they're posting these thoughts. But it's this idea of, like... And I'm glad that you brought that up because there's this general aversion to people who spend time at these higher-end restaurants and then the, there's this like weird stigma that you should be able to come out as this you know high-end chef who can cook all these sorts of things but I think what you're saying and what you know maybe the audience can take away is that there's like these un it's not going to show up on the plate necessarily like the skills that you get at these places yeah so you know it's um yeah I think I, so, you know, I, I'm not artistic in the least bit in any way, shape or form. And I actually like, I, I, I take a lot of pride in like, you know, I, th I think a lot of life goes through these like cycles, right? Like the sure. first day you show up at CIA, like you want to be a chef, not a dishwasher, not a line cook. 20 years later, you're like dish cook, dishwashers and line cooks are badass. <laughs> you know, like I'll be a cook. Like, thousand percent. You know, it's great. 
you know, and so like, there's a beauty in that. And there's like the whole, you know, we all go through a phase where we're like, comfort food's gross. Like I want to do fine. And then you're like, dude, I want to make fucking comfort food. Like I want to make like badass, you know? And like, even if it's, you know, for me, I'm, I'm in a, I'm in a place professionally where I like to challenge myself. I, I, I not nothing. I'm not, not for me. I don't find it particularly interesting if you put four ounces of fat on eight ounces of carbohydrates that people think that tastes good. You know, so I do a lot of stuff of like tofu purees, uh, cut thin and then sous vide celery root and like a pasta. Like I like to put a caloric budget on like the food I make. And to me, that's just a fun way to challenge myself. But like even today I still spar, I still wrestle and I've, I have a lot of mad hours of wrestling and jujitsu. Like sometimes I'll train with my eyes closed, you know, and it's nothing that I'm going to do that unless, unless I'm trying, you know, but I generally, you don't want to let your opponent, know. you know, you don't want to let your training partner know you're doing that. Like, right. It's a little rude. But you know, it's like, I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing. And that's like a really w- good way to like hone your skills. Like you want to make, like you want to make like really good dishes when it counts, like make really good dishes and like, don't let people know they're vegan. Don't let people know they're gluten-free. Like tell them after the tasting menu, like that entire, that eight course tasting menu was 1800 calories, you know, do that and have it stand on its own. And then if you do go to 11 Madison park and they're like, Hey, go in the walk-in and make it. It's like, Oh, great. I mean, hopefully by the time, you know, hopefully you should be past that point. But you know, it's, I think, I think like as far as what's going to show up on the plate, right? Like, I think everybody has their, you know, there's a, there's a writer named um, Aldo Leopold and, and he's from the late 1800s to the early 1900s. And he did a lot for like shaping our parks department. He talked about game management, ethics of hunting. He wrote a book called Sand County All Men. And he talked about the difference between morality and ethics, you know, and, and ethics are more like a societal standard and morality is like deeply personal. And I think a lot of that crossover philosophy applies to everything, right? I think as an industry, we kind of have ethics and then we have deeply personal morals, right? Like, you know, we're, we're all starting to come around that like maybe super cheap fast food is the best thing for the, for the world. But like 1947, 1936, it would have been great to have dollar hamburgers, right? Get those calories out. If you're watching your baby starve to death, you give them refined sugar. You great, wonderful. Give me a bag of sugar, you know. And so, it, w- what I'm getting at is like, ethically, I think putting yourself in a Labernadan of per se and a linea, getting beat up, getting thick skin, learning to work really hard, and then like, you know, there's something wonderful about restaurant scoring an achievement and knowing that like you were. You know, Grant Atkins, when I did my stage, sat me down and he said, do you want to do a lot at a good restaurant or do you want to do very little at a great restaurant? You know, and doing very little at a great restaurant is kind of cool, right? Just to be part of that. And like, there's a lot of similarities, you know, probably better than me at this point. You've been in, you've been in some wonderful restaurants. It's, it's almost religious, right? It's a bunch of people working as hard as they can on something that like, really, when you take a step back, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's somebody's fucking dinner. You're not performing heart surgery. The only reason it matters is like somewhat religious, right? It's like, can we all do this? You know, like, can we, can we all carry this? Can we make this something exceptional? Can we make this a 
can we how much can we nurture the guests like you know if, if we were in a college wrestling room we would say we punish ourselves so that we can punish our opponents but like we're punishing ourselves so that we can nurture our guests you know we are we would never want the guests to know how hard we work because maybe they would feel uncomfortable or like they should be enjoying it more you know but most you know thomas keller was giving a speech and he was saying like he was talking to future industry leaders and he was saying who should be promoted does the best cook make the best sous chef make the best chef de cuisine make the best manager make the best he's like well historically that's the way we've done it and he's like but i am working towards and would like to someday promote the best teacher to sous chef and he's like you know i'm i i've tried that and it's worked sometimes and it's not worked others you know, it's like it was very difficult to solve for in a kitchen. Like, how do you find those attributes when those aren't the those that, you know, how do you find an element that doesn't rise to the top in a pressurized environment? Like, you know, you don't skim the bottom and say, like, the guy who goes down every night and walks around with a chip on his shoulder, he should be the sous chef. Like, obviously, that, that you can't reward that. You know, so, you, you know, he described somewhat of the predicament he was in. But he very much felt that the number one attribute he wanted in his kitchen were nurturers. And he said... People who would rather build and stoke a fire than sit by it themselves. He looked for people who would rather be building and stoking a fire for others to enjoy than be sitting seated at one themselves. And he felt that made the best chef. And, you know, if I can make assumptions on elaborating on, on his work, I think that's because it's hard. It's hard work. And if your motivation is because you want a restaurant someday, like that's that's a perfectly healthy ambition. I just I don't know how far how far down a dark tunnel you're gonna walk for that, right? Like, I mean, it always success always feels so far away when you're at a, a Linea or a Per Se or a French Laundry or a La Bernadette. Like, I mean, how successful did you feel when you were a Comey or a Chef de Partida? Yeah, feel fucking useless, feel dumb. And it's, when you come out the other side, like there, you know, so my dad was in Vietnam and he was saying that. All the bad memories get compressed into one memory and you remember that it was hard. But over time, all the good memories expand. And that's like certainly been true with like my culinary experience. But you know, it's, I, I, think, I think you have to really be a nurturer if you want, which is, which is so ironic because I, I, don't, I didn't feel any of those restaurants were nurturing womb-like environments. No. But I, I think that's like the best quality. And, and the more you can develop that and, you know, it's, um, it's twofold, right? There's a clinical, clinical psychologist and he wrote a book and he was talking about, he worked on a, a rail yard, like a, it was like a desirable government job. And the amount of bullying he saw was, was he, you know, it, it took him many years to kind of digest how he felt about it. And what he realized is those jobs, while well-paying, are very hard work. You're in the summer, you're carrying iron. And what he said is the way those jobs are rendered tolerable is through razzing, shit-talking, abuse. And he was saying that, like, and it's a true meritocracy. If I say, hey, John, that's a dumb jacket you have on today, but John zings me back and his is funnier, he wins. Like, it's a meritocracy, right? If you make fun of somebody, like, I remember very clearly I had, a, I had my first restaurant in Brooklyn and I had a line cook who was actually an architecture student. And I, I was relentless on him. I, I was so abusive. It was, but, it, but it was like, great. But it was great. Like, he could, he was, he was, he was my guy. 
you know, and I used to be like, why do you want to go be a bad architect when you're on track to be a mediocre chef? Like, you should just stick this out, you know? Like, let's save your parents enough. And one day I was, like, making fun of him, and the, the owners of the restaurant, uh, I forget what was said, but it was, it was like, very, they're like, how's Kyle doing? I was like, he's fine. And that night, like, Kyle just, like, couldn't get it together. Like, he just wasn't, you know, it's like putting the beet salad dressing on the frisette. You know, I'm like, what are you doing? And so, like, I was in front of everybody. I was like, Kyle, are you, are you playing a joke on me? Did you hear I told the owners, like, you're good? And so now as a joke, to make us laugh, you're fucking everything up. Like, well done. That was great. That was a great joke. But, like, let's, let's you know, let's, let's actually do certain and, like, he nailed me back. He was like, Chef, I'm so sad. Like, I didn't even think that you knew the sets anymore. Every night you're on Expo, you're coming in at 3 o'clock. And I was like, all right. Like, ooh, like, you know, like, good work. And it's like, I think, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm torn because I certainly would never want to, like, advocate for bullying. Sure, you know? sure. But I think that there's, you know, when you're working 60 hours a week, and you're running a restaurant with your name on it and you're clearing 50 grand a year with no benefits like I was, you know, and I was, I was, I was happy to be making 50 grand. I was making a thousand, $52,000 a year, $1,000 a week as an executive chef of a restaurant in Brooklyn. I think I was 20, I think I was 28. I was young for the role, but no benefits, you know, and I was working yeah, a short day was 10 hours. A long day was, 15 and I was working six days a week. Monday was my day. You know, the way you render that tolerable is through, you know, you got to let the steam out somehow. And I was never, you know, I don't think I ever got out of line with it. I mean, you'd have to, you know, to dig through my past and, you know, cancel me to find out. But, (laughs) you know, I think, um, and so I, I think that like the thick skin can really benefit you. And I think that, I think that, like, we kind of all know that, like, there's, like, a standard that people should be treated, and I think there's kind of, like, ethical standards, and I don't know, you know, I I think that there's, I think what's going to be reflected on a plate, what type of chef you're going to be, that's deeply personal, and I think a lot of that has to do with your personality, your disposition, are you, are you more risk adverse, are you a bigger risk taker, are you someone who would ride a dirt bike? Are you somebody who would rather be in the middle of an Uber XL with your seatbelt on? You know, I think all that stuff translates and who you really are comes through like in a tasting menu. So, you know, I, I, I worked at Alinea, but my food is nothing like Alinea's. You know, my food is more like, uh, I mean, God, I, I would embarrass myself to say who I would wish my food was like, but you know, it's, I, you know, I, I, I think that you, you develop, Everywhere you go, you kind of pick up skills and you'll use bits and pieces of that. But like, I remember, I remember being 27 years old and cooking dinner for a girl. And she was like very excited. She was very confident. And she was like, your food is so good. And I remember having this sense of panic of like, oh, I'm not ready to have my own food identity yet. Like, I'm not, like, I can't have a my food. Like, there's like, no, like. My food is yet to be decided. Like, will it be fine dining? And I just remember feeling this, like, sense of dread at hearing, like, your food is so good or whatever because I was like, I'm not ready for that. And I was I was the chef of a restaurant at that time. <laughs> like, uh, so. But that was just, like, a cash grab. Like, I needed – they needed somebody who could come in and 
execute service and I needed more money. So. Can you can you speak a little bit to that? Because I think that it's um, it's a big rant that I go on from the sense of like cook to chef. Like I'm 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 actually a big advocate of people if they're working in a professional kitchen to call themselves a chef sooner than they get a title for it, just because you will take on those mental responsibilities, like the negative self-talk you might be having with yourself might change. But so like, and that's certainly a journey that I went through when I moved back from Europe to the US and I was like doing pop-ups to do that dance. <laughs> like, call, and, and, and I say dance from almost like a comical circus, like street performer sense of like, it's a chef trying to figure out what their food looks like kind of thing. Like any, any, um, for someone who is starting to navigate that or wanting to kind of like, well, the next thing on the docket is I got to figure out what my food looks like, like advice from that time, best practices, things to avoid misconceptions, all of that. Speak, speak to that person. Yeah. So I, I, I had a really unusual path. Like I had some pretty good, marks on my resume and i had i was very fortunate i mean i was very very fortunate i was living in new york city uh, on my sister's couch um and i was fortunate in that like i had a big sister who was a lawyer um yeah she wasn't at the time certainly wasn't like a millionaire but she's very generous and she's amazing you know so I was able to work for free at a lot of cool places. And so my first job in New York City was at Delon. And I got fired right away. Three days. Um, and it was a very small kitchen, if anybody's been there. It's like a three-man line. And uh, and my sister, like, kind of, like, tricked me into getting the job. Like, she was like, like, I moved to New York to work uh, on the American Stock Exchange. And it didn't really pan out. I didn't like it. It wasn't working. And I had, like, worked in, like, taquerias and stuff in San Diego. So she was like, you should you should work in restaurants in New York City, you know? And I was like, kind of like, ah, I've been there, done that, you know, I've been a chef. And so I, we went to Del Anima, and they had had, like, a friend whose cousin was the pastry chef, you know? And so I uh, I was eating dinner there, and I was like, Tear-. like, it was an open kitchen. I was like, oh, I'm not, like, you know, and she called the manager. She's like, oh, my brother's a chef. He's in town from San Diego. So they're like, oh, we would love to have him coming in. And so then I was like, you know, and I was never the type to be like, oh, I'm scared. I'm not going to do this. I was like, yeah, no, whatever. What's right, the worst cool. that going to happen? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, like, inside, I was, you know, of course I was terrified. You know, sure. I was 22. So I, I worked uh, I worked on my third day. And so I came from San Diego, like, taquerias and, like, concert halls. Like, prep was in bags, and you put it in, you know, like, um, I don't, like, I wouldn't say a step above Chili's. I'd say, like, a sidestep from Chili's, <laughs> you know, like, you know, like, so, I, you know, I I knew, like, mechanically how to turn on a range and put a saute pan on it and put food in there. But, like, I didn't know shit. And so in the, in the crust... The chef de cuisine at that time was named Chris Frazier, and he was about 11 feet tall, crooked glasses, sweaty, and he would, like, grab you. You know, it was like, he, like, never wore a chef's coat. He wore, like, a dishwasher shirt, crooked tape all over him. And, like, unbelievably talented chef. Like, he, every, like, from that restaurant group, when people, like, Gabe Thompson, who was the executive chef and, and quite a mentor to me, and did a lot to help me. Um fired me twice, but I'll get to that later. <laughs> but he, um, 
he uh, he always talks about like, you know, he'd be like, oh, Marcus Samuels. I was at a party, and Marcus Samuelson was like, oh, I ate a Lartuzzi in that that dish you did with the rabbit and like, and he'd be like, yeah, that was Frazier's dish. You know, it's like every everything that like a big chef is like that dish was amazing. Like that was Chris. Frazier. You know, Chris Frazier is just a, a crazy man. And one night in the middle of, he looks at me, he's like, Steven, go get me fennel. And I was like, yes, chef. What's fennel? And he's like, fuck, <laughs> in the middle of the restaurant. Screams fuck, throws the pan down. Like, food hits the ceiling. He storms off. And then, like, I kind of, like, I'm like, what do I do? And he comes up, like, with fronds on it and everything. goes, this is fucking fennel. In the middle of, like, a, a restaurant on sick bath. Yeah. So Gabe, so at, at, at right about the closing, Gabe's like, sit down, let's send you some food. You know, and he comes over and says, so this isn't really working, you know? Like, but he was very nice to me. He was very nice to me. Um, and, uh, you know, he gave me a lot of guidance, and he walked me to another restaurant and got me a job there. And I just put away their orders and cleaned up and did that type of stuff, which was good. It was a lot of product knowledge. Then they opened a restaurant called Lartuzzi on West 10th Street. And he invited me back, and I became part of the opening staff for that, and it was great. Um, and then um, he was very helpful. He encouraged me. His wife was a CIA graduate. He introduced me to the Culinary Institute of America and helped me, wrote me a letter of recommendation, helped me get a scholarship. My sister helped me because I'm, you know, I'm not, I, I certainly at that time, I didn't have, you know, good, I, I wasn't poetic. So they helped me write my application letter and that type of stuff. And and so I, I got into CIA and I think that like, I think, I think I was very fortunate in that I just worked really hard and people saw that I worked hard and they cared. Uh, Matt Lambert, who's the chef of the busking room, uh, which got a Michelin star right away. I worked under him at public. And I remember he called me in the walk-in box one night and he was like, you're fucking terrible. He's like, but I could tell you care a lot. And that's why I, he's like, I could be a lot meaner to you. I know I'm mean to you, but I could be a lot fucking meaner. <laughs> like, I'm like, I'll always remember, like, you can be meaner than you are. Like, I feel like we're at, like, the maximum level of meanness. And he's like, no, you know. Um, sure. and, but, you know, it was, I went to Brad, the chef of a Michelin star restaurant, and I said, I just finished an externship at Alinea. It's a three Michelin star restaurant. I never worked the hotline. They're, they're not really a hotline. My concern is I'm going to finish culinary school. People are going to see a line on my resume. They're going to expect that I'm at some level, and I'm going to go down like a sack of fucking potatoes on the hotline. And Brad looked at me, and he said, you realize you're asking to sink my kitchen? I said, yes, chef. And he goes, all right, fuck it. We'll see. And he put me on hot appetizers, and I did not disappoint. I went down so many times. One of, uh, I, there was a fryer on my station. This is how inexperienced I was after working in a three Michelin star list with a culinary degree from the Culinary Institute of America. In the shits, I was, you know, some, something was fried. And I was, you know, doing that. And that was before you, you know, once, once, it only takes once and you learn never swing the basket. Totally. You know, so I like go to run for something. And of course, I slip on the oil and eat shit and. You know, and but it's like, uh, you know, that was very humbling to me. I like, I cracked my head, I was bleeding, and people were like, You need to go. I'm like, No, 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 I'm fine. It's nothing. It's nothing. It's good. So, you know, like, oh I was like God. so embarrassed because I was like, Of course, like, what the fuck was I thinking moving the basket to the pass? Like, you didn't drip oil, you're going to slip in each end. You know, that's a lesson that I have, I have since witnessed people learn once. You know, I've seen many cooks do that. 
you know, like you see a kid swinging the basket, you just kind of pull his knife forward so he doesn't have his <laughs> hand on each step, you know, because yeah. it's one of those things you could explain to somebody, you know, and they look at you and they're like, you don't understand the type of pressure. Like, I don't have the time to bring this. As a... But it's like, of course, like I'm, I worked at that station for three years. Of course, I know what you're going through. You're just overwhelmed in the moment, you know, but yeah, I think it's important to put yourself out of your comfort zone. Don't be afraid to go down. Don't be afraid to eat shit. And like, you know, never nobody. Mike Tyson didn't walk in a boxing gym and start piecing people up. Like Mike Tyson got his ass kicked. Like you're gonna. It, it wouldn't. It wouldn't mean anything if it was. You know, and the the issue the issue is not that like you can't make good food with just a culinary degree or four years in a kitchen or seven or eight years. The problem is like you're doing a pop up, and so is Alex Apollo. You know, like. It doesn't take long to be able to be the toughest guy at the barbecue. But, like, if you want to fight for a heavyweight championship or you want to wrestle in the Olympics or you want to fight these, like, you're going against these savages who nothing else matters. And that's also true in culinary world. Like, anywhere where people are super passionate, people are going to be fucking good. And they're going to work for free. And they're going to crush you. You know, you would see the same thing in fashion. You would see it in photography. Like, how many how many hours of free work has Ann Leibovitz done? I don't know, a lot, a lot for sure. You know, how many projects has she been like? This looks like shit. We're not billing them. We're gonna eat it. We're gonna figure out how to pay our bills. And it's like that's who you're competing against. You're competing against. I think. I mean, I say it again and again. I think La Bernadette is the best restaurant in the world. It's had three Michelin stars since I don't know, 1981. Yeah. And there's not a single person that's like, I don't think we're gonna get three Michelin stars this year. Like, and it's like the biggest, and like nobody talks about it. But Eric Repair is like a gem of a human being. I've only met him three or four times and I've never worked under him. So I've never seen him, you know, never seen him freak out on anybody. But like everything that I've seen and, and you know, he's, but he's always there. Like that guy works a lot. Like he, if ever there was a time like he could promote somebody and be out writing cookbooks, it's now, but like, by all accounts, Dan Barber. Dan Barber's in those kitchens every day. I ate at Blue Hill with uh, Akhtar Nawab. He's friends with Barber, and he went in the kitchen. He's like, Chef, you're, you're on the line tonight? Like, fuck. You know, and he was like, Akhtar's like, yeah, he's, Akhtar's a great American chef. He was the chef of the EU when he was like 24 years old. He had Elitaria. He ran all of Tom Colicchio's restaurants. Uh, David Chang said he's his favorite chef. You know, Akhtar Nawab's great chef and he was like he's like that guy's a great chef but at what cost man like he's, he's you know he's 46 years old working the line tonight like like a line cook like sure. he can't go like he's gonna break down that station he's not gonna until 3 a.m you know so it's like the the point is like you, you gotta you have to understand that like you're gonna take some lumps you know you're gonna make like a a beet caramel ice cream it's gonna be gross and like the best thing I can, the best advice I can have is have tricks up your sleeves. If you're doing a tasting menu in the beginning, if you think you need three purees, have five. Cause like <laughs> some of them might be gross. Like, you know, like, like I would love to say, like really wash it out and test it ahead of time. But like part of me, like that's kind of not really what cooking's about, you know? And like now I do a lot of like, I mean, I, I, I do a lot of like tasting menus in people's homes. It certainly did a lot before COVID. And, like, yeah, like, you shouldn't be pureeing on site. Your purees need to be done, things like mm -hmm. that. 
but like you still want to get in there and play a little you know you still want to like like in my opinion i i very much like i think it's fun to like raid the client's pantry and be like ooh, everything bagel spice like all right let's put this with the venison you know like that's fun to me right like going and just cooking the same thing i've cooked a hundred times so like that's like you couldn't pay me to do that like i don't want to do that anymore and you know like that's not like that's like a, not a knock on restaurants because restaurants are so much more complex than the menu is serving, right? Like this guy called out. It's you know like it's this. It's you know four tables got seated at once. You know it's very that's like the the food is like number four on the difficulty menu of running a restaurant. But it's, if you're talking about doing a pop up, like food is effectively like number one. I mean depending on you know sales. Right. Yeah, but, but like, yeah, I think, I think a big thing is like, you know, you win or you learn, right? Like if you, if you, if you, if, you know, I, I just, now I just, I just have so many years of cooking that to me, it's like even kind of like eating shit on the taste menu. Like, I don't know that I would like necessarily be mortified. That. I think I'd kind of be like, Oh, cool. Like, yeah. What did yeah, we, yeah. What, what did we do wrong? <laughs> you know? And it, like I, I, I don't think I don't like I honestly. I mean, of course that would, of course that would be mortifying, right? But I don't think it would be like certainly wouldn't be devastating. It'd be like, oh, like, what went wrong? Like, you know, and and we love to do this thing where it's like, oh, the client's oven didn't, you know? It's like don't blame them. Like, you know, like have fun with it, you know. Um, but I, I think, I think the biggest thing is is just really go slow because. I, I don't know if I'm at the top or not, but it feels like I'm at the top and it feels like I kind of don't have a lot of places. Like it takes like leveling up skill sets takes so like it's so few and far between. Whereas like in the beginning, it's like, Oh, I'm a Comey. Oh my God. They're letting me butcher. Fish. Oh my God. I'm the butcher. Oh my God. I have keys to the restaurant. Oh my, like that's cool. Mm-hmm. Like that's cool. But like those in the beginning, absorbing those like skill sets is really wonderful and it's 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 something that i think i um i think i had a lot of insecurity about admitting my naivety in the beginning that i almost wanted to be like ah like this ain't shit you know whereas like i wish like i had approached it more childlike and kind of been like oh that's so like that's so cool like Oh my God, like you can make salmon, you can make a dish from the meat on the collar of a fish. Like that's so cool. And like, I wish I had been more enthusiastic with the sous chef rather than like, yeah, cool. It's our job. You know, like, because like, if a sous chef is showing you something, he wants that. You know, he's like, I'm bored. Let me show this kid something. And when the kid's like, eh, you know, like, I guess, I guess that would be my advice. It's like, don't be too cool. You know, like, be enthusiastic, have a big smile, um, be excited and like, you know, like the other thing that I was told very early is like, you have to, you have to be the sous chef before somebody will give you the title. Like a thousand percent. Yeah. Like you have to like, like offer to help with inventory. Like yep. when I, when I got, when I, when I was a sous chef at La Esquina, before I even started, I asked Octar if I could do an inventory and I did a whole inventory of the restaurant, which he was fucking fine to let me do but then i knew where everything was right like when i needed pumpkin seeds i knew where they were and probably also no, got this experience of, of, of uh, 
I don't know. I always thought I, th I always thought it was this thing where like only the sous chefs talk to the purveyors, and that first time you get told to call the purveyor, it's like whoa. Again, like those little moments where it's like you're, yeah. So 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 interesting. The the interesting point to kind you of. You know what's funny though? Not to interrupt you. No, no. The funny about this. Like, even now, like, when he said, call the prepares, I'm like, fuck, I want to call the <laughs> But, like, that's the thing is I remember being yep. so excited. The and first now I'm time just like, oh, it. my God. Yep. Like, yep. I, I, like, in my head, I was like, show me a pin like that. I'll let him place my fucking orders right now. <laughs> Anytime. Know, like, Anytime you can call. Yep. Yep. Call yep. Alfredo for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. But that's what I like. Don't, don't, like, diminish those. Like, enjoy those. Like, sure. be excited for those as a young cut. Yeah, yeah. So, you're, like, the perfect person to you know, semi-vent to about this, but I have this, um, it's a couple of, like, uh, ideas, patterns, trends that I'm noticing in the industry that I'm, like, incredibly passionate about. I hesitate to use the word fixing, but I'm, it's kind of more, like, be the change you want to see kind of thing, and it's this idea of, like, the lowest common denominator getting, like, lower in, like, skill mm -hmm. level, uh, and then there's also this combination of like chef saying that good help is really hard to find. And then I also feel that because of that lowering, the top performers, the really ambitious ones, the um, people who are hungry for the information are like critically underserved. Like there's not enough resources for those individual people. And then it's also, again, this, this point of uh, food media talking shit about working for free, unpaid externships, oh, so-and-so worked at this place, and they, I went to their pop-up and it wasn't very good uh, type of, or like I hired this person and um, they said they worked at Noma and they only picked herbs for six months and they, they can't really cook kind of thing. I think that that is directly and like fundamentally opposed to what I think you and I are saying, which is when you see someone at that stage in their career, they're almost like, underneath the compound curve like you have the person who is kind of like moving linearly but then there's this person who is kind of like working and there's going to be a point and i am a testament to this like when i moved to europe i got thrown on the entremet station got completely crushed the chef was told the chef that hired me was told opening team of grace worked at french laundry did an externship at per se you know all this stuff but i worked cold stations at all those restaurants. yeah and i get to the entremet station and i get I get completely chewed out by the sous chef who was a uh, who previously was at a two star from Paris, and then my station partner was from a two star in Amsterdam, and it was just like, who the fuck is this guy? Like, why did we bring this American into the kitchen who supposedly has this resume, but he fucking sucks? But because of all this experience of like organization, thick skin, like we're talking about, it kicked in, and I just like I was a sous chef after ten months at that restaurant, you know? Yeah. So it's like there's something missing that's not being talked about enough through these kinds of experiences and developing these sorts of skills. And I'm just very passionate about like not letting it die, but also not conti again, continuing these things that you and I are agreeing are ultimately harmful, you know? Uh, yeah. I mean, I like this. So I'm a bad guy to talk about this because, because like I'm just so comfortable with confrontation and violence. Right, I got sober at 21. I've been sober 16 years. I was 23 years old, sponsoring 40-year-old men, telling them to get their shit together. I'm 
horrible cauliflower ear. You know, and I, I won't mention the restaurant, but I won't change the names either. But, <laughs> so, the sous chef, I fucked something up. There was a, a, a product that was, like, called sweet chili sauce, and it went with, like, a scallop dish. And it was a fucking bitch to me. Like, it was, like, a case of ginger mandolin cooked wow. in caramel with, like, like, and I went in one morning. I was the tornot. I went in one morning, and I was like, oh, we're out of sweet chili sauce. Sure. And I'm like, grabbing people on the grass with chili sauce. And so, like, people are like, fuck! And they're like, you know, mandolining ginger. And the sous chef comes in, and he's like, fuck, are we real? I'm like, yeah. And the chef de cuisine comes in, like, a little hungover. And he's like, what's going on? I'm like, we're out of sweet chili sauce. Goes, mm. Okay, who's, who spotted that? I'm like, Steven. He goes, hey, Steven, you fucking saved the day, mate. <laughs> Great. About... Eight minutes later, he comes out of the walk-in with two 22-quart Cambros and like, he goes, hey, Steven, you think this is enough to make it through service, you fucking idiot? <laughs> and, I was like, and I was just like, oh, my God. It was like effectively an inexhaustible supply. You know, like he couldn't even, he had to have somebody help him. He couldn't even open it. Um, and I was just like, oh, my God. You know, of course, everybody's just like, you fucking dumbass. Right, it's like, and so like fast forward like four hours later, the sous chef is like furious, you know, and still just like, I was like, oh, you want something with some bro? Like I don't know, I don't have the excuse of being hungover, but I wish I did, you know. Um, and so like the guy wouldn't drop it, and eventually I just looked at him and I said, look, you don't know anybody who knows anybody that can kick my ass, so I don't know where the fuck you want to go with this. If you want to keep this up. I'm happy to go into the locker room or right here and fight you and fucking embarrass you in front of the entire kitchen staff. Or we can get on with service. I would like to just fucking fight some people. And I just started putting out food. And the owner, the chef owner of the restaurant, was like, look, I'm very hesitant to encourage that type of behavior. And he's like, but I have to say, like, I, I think, like, you handled it well. Like, you were like, look, where are we going with this? What do you want to do? And then he just never brought it up again. He's like, He's like, what scares me is like, what if you had a female sous chef? Like, how do you handle that, right? And that was like really kind of when I realized like, if I want to be senior, I have to temper some of that, right? I have to, like, there's a difference between being a cook and being a chef. And I think being a chef means that you have to be, like, you got to be, you have to think about those types of things. You have to move. You have to think three, four steps ahead and think about how does that stuff affect people. But you know, I, you know, did I handle that right? Like, okay, maybe, maybe not. Like, um, but the guy wouldn't drop. And, you know, it, it was, you know, the the chef brought up a good question. He's like, what if, what if, what if that sous chef was female? She wouldn't drop it. It's like, yeah, I mean, that is a good question. Like, From the sense of, like, her... yeah, like, what are the what are the tools that you would use to defuse that bomb? You know? Like, yeah. You, yeah, you like, can't, like, yeah, interesting. You can't call her a name. You can't, you know. Yeah, and so yeah, yeah. the thing also is, like, you know, I've heard a lot of stories, obviously. I was at dinner with somebody, with my wife at the time and, and this woman who, from a very minor, new, short time, was in the industry and was explaining to me how sexist and racist and homophobic the culinary industry was. 
I mean, I had 10 times the amount of kitchen hours she did. And I was like, okay. And she's like, I'm just saying that it's really hostile to women. I was like, I think it's hostile to everybody. She's like, have you ever been sexually harassed? I was like, yeah. And she's like, you've been sexually harassed? I was like, yeah. And she's like, by who? I was like, not that it's any of your fucking business. But there was a gay guy, Ricky, who was a sous chef, who used to talk to me about how much I was going to love it when he got a hold of me. And I was going to, he was going to change my world. And I was going to be converted. And I was just, you know, so it's like, it, you know, and even then she's like, well, I think he was just, and it's like, how, how can you assume this stuff on behalf of Ricky? Like, why, you know, because, you know, but so I, I think that, I think there are absolutely undeniable inequalities and problems in the culinary world but i think when you i think you know i've held my arm up and had open cabs blow past me if i was a woman if i was black if i maybe i would feel like it was because of that but because i am a white guy who by all sense by all appearances seems to have means i assume the guy wasn't paying attention or He's not particularly observant, aware, or ambitious, which is why he's driving a cab at a graveyard. You know, like, it's not like, it's not like the surgeon walked past, you know, it's like, cab driver didn't pick me up, couldn't get a cab. You know, so I think, I think there's a lot of times when, if, if that sous chef was a female, and I said, listen, fucking bitch, drop it, or I'm gonna, blah, blah, blah. She might say, like, if I wasn't a woman, he wouldn't have felt so comfortable threatening because if I was a man, he could have thought, but it was a man. I was very comfortable threatening. Him. So I think, I think, I think not. And also in sobriety, we kind of, one of the worst things you can do is think of yourself as helpless or a victim, right? So that's like always the precursor to relapse. When you hear somebody talking, they're talking about how things are being done to them. The, the, this happened to them. You know, my rent got raised. I have to move. I lost my job. When people start talking like that, it's something that a good sponsor should kind of check them on and say like, well, okay, but you know, did you think your rent was never going to raise? Like, did you do anything this year to prepare for it? You know, like you kind of want to show them that like they had an equal hand in their destiny. Somebody's bullying you based on your race. Like that's fucked up and DM me their information. I'll go punch them in the mouth. Right. But, like, if somebody says, like, you know, are, are you doing this as a practical joke because I told the owners you were good and you, like, my, my thing is, like, I think the, I think you, I don't think you do yourself any favors when you take things personally. And when you, you also have to understand, like, that guy above you on the rung, A, usually it's not that super accomplished senior rich guy, you know. Marcus Samuelson ain't calling people names, you know, but like nine managerial steps beneath him, that might be happening. Right. You know, but, but, you know, that's because we're, we're in like a really high pressure environment. There's very little money. There's a lot of work to do. And the way that those are rendered tolerable sometimes is through exchange, venting theme, be it appropriate or inappropriate. But I think it's really important to not, you know, to, to try and find find as much of your own internal empowerment as possible and know that like, you know, there's a great book by David Goggins called you can't hurt me, you know, like, so fuck man, if I had 1% of what that guy's going on, I mean, I don't know if it'd be good or bad, but 
you know, but that's like, that's something that like, you know, nobody's built like that guy. Sure. For better or for worse. There's yeah, one yeah, David yeah. Goggins. Right. You know, but like finding that ability to just, you know, pressure can crush you or it can make diamonds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and understanding that like one day you'll be on your deathbed and like what type of person do you want to be and what attributes do they have? You know, like I, if you're listening to this podcast, that person's probably, you probably want them to be a pretty awesome chef. But everywhere you go is going to give you tools, even if you don't know them in the moment. You know, but like when I worked at public, I got put on like kind of like uh, they did a lot of events and Aaron, the sous chef, who was fucking great guy. He was like, you always hit them with like 20 percent extra food right up front and people will relax. You know, like the minute they walk in, there's just almost too much food. You know, don't be alarmed when they come back. Like, we'll pull it back later. You know, and like that everywhere else I went, I would tell people, like, listen, when the event starts for the first 30 minutes, we're going to bombard them with food. And everybody will kind of, they might even be like, he's saying less food. It's too much food. Whereas if you don't do that, it could be like, what, where's that? You know, we, we, they're supposed to be a goat cheat, you know, and you're like, mm-hmm. lady, it's coming. Relax. You know, but like, that's something that like, I, that was a lesson I didn't even know I learned in the moment. You know, and I've never forgotten that. I remember that guy telling me that clear as day. And, you know, like, it's little things like that that are just going to become, like, pebbles in your backpack. But you're not going to pick any of those up if you just get fixated on that things aren't fair. Because nothing's going to be fair on this journey. Nothing's going to be fair. Nobody's going to treat you fairly. There's not a guy working 60 hours a week who just wants his whiskey and cigarette at the end of the night who's like, what can I do for Justin? Because he's a really awesome dude. It's like, be here a year, and then I'll fucking see when I write your prep list, right? Or like, remember your name. Like, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I just, you know, and, and I've been on both sides of that. Like, I, and it's not because they're these cruel-hearted dicks. It's because we've all put a ton of time and effort into somebody, and we're like, where are they? And like, they no-called no-shows. Like, fuck what? Raymond no-called no-shows? Like, I was up till the crack of dawn cleaning that fucker station with him because he went down like, like, and I didn't show up. So it's like, you know, there's, you know, you can't cut someone and expect them not to scar. So the thing about like, you know, you can't, everything can't hurt. You know, you got to just realize that like not everything's about you. And like sometimes people have bad days. And if you just hold grudges and you're just pissed about everything, like you're going to fucking hate everybody you work with and you're going to be miserable. Those guys are going to be laughing, drinking their whiskey and cigarette at the end of the night. And you're going to be all fucking sourpuss. And then like, you know, that's not going to make you good at your job, like being angry, you know, like the, the best advice I can give to people is just kind of like suck it up. Don't take it personally and learn, you know, learn, just learn, just, you know, I was always eager to try and help or add my two cents and like, you that gets beaten out of you pretty quickly at nice places. Like you learn to shut up and listen, which is a really good skill. Agreed. And all of that, all of that, that was gold i know that a lot of people are probably like mind blown right now there's a i don't think anybody's mind blown that's pretty i think so i you you underestimate the people who um (laughs) have either gotten uh contradicting advice that may or may not um be negatively serving them in their current job position and i again like i've already gushed about it enough but like hearing that was a very it was a cold splash in the face for me at the time when i met you you know, and you were telling do, me these do things. Do a combat sport. Do a combat sport. Because what you'll realize is, like, you are your own business. Like, you can go in there and be like, oh, coach told me to do 50 burpees. He's picking up. 
I will tell you, being being exhausted in a fight is a very lonely feeling. Gassing out in a fight is a lonely feeling. You're looking around, you're getting beat up in your underwear, and you see a friend there, you see a friend there, and you see a referee, and none of them can do it for you. Nobody can help you. Cooking is the same way. Like, if you want to be like, oh, chef wants me to fucking do it. Okay, like, I'm not collaring asparagus. Cool. Well, guess what? You don't fucking know how to do that. Right? Like, oh, I'm not going to shuck 300 chickpeas. Okay. No sweat off my ass. I already know how to shut chickpeas. I already know that I can stand and do a repetitive task for nine hours. So when I get hired to do a wedding for 30 people on a beach, I know I can shut chickpeas for 30 people. You know, I can turn my brain off. I can listen to a podcast while I do it, if you're fortunate enough. But, like, you're your own brand. You're your own business. And, like, getting pissed and storming out of a restaurant because people weren't fair, that's not going to increase the value of your brand. And it's also, like, I will tell you, I have worked with some unfucking reasonable clients who have paid me a lot of money. And if I was, and they've been very unfair. The client I have right now is, a, like, I couldn't ask for a better client. The clients I have right now are wonderful. But, you know, like, even working with athletes, I work for athletes that, like, they could kill me. They could just, I mean, like, nothing, no talent or technique involved. They could just hold me down and strangle me to death like a chicken. And there's nothing I can do about it. You know, I, I did the whole weight cut for the guy that won ADCC, the Abu Dhabi Combat Club, which is like the Olympics of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And he won, um, he won a 189-pound division. Big guy, 200-pound guy, professional fighter, best in the world. And, like, making food for him was very easy because his mind is just so strong. Like, if you told that guy, eat kitty litter for 30 days, on day 31, he'd be like, what do I eat next, coach? He's just like, whoa, you know? Uh, like Gianni Grippo, who's won world championships all over the place. And that guy's a savage. And that guy, like, he'll just do whatever you tell him. And then I've had super rich people from the Hamptons that are like, I'm not losing weight. And it's like, well, I, I don't know. I took 21 pounds off this fighter in three weeks. Three weeks, he lost 21 pounds. He lost a pound a day. I don't know why you're not losing weight. I have to assume it has to do with your discipline, work ethic, and overall drive. But I will take that feedback with me, and I will see what I can do. You know, the guy's, like, smoking while he's telling you this. Like, sure. Sure, you're, sure you're a personal trainer. Like, my trainer says I'm working hard. <laughs> my trainer says I'm working hard. I'm really burning counts. It's like, all right, well, no. this one's clearly on me. You know, but would it be better for me to tell that guy to go fuck himself and not make 65 grand over the four-month period I was in the Hamptons. You know, the first time I went to the Hamptons to do nutrition work, I made more in four months than I made the previous calendar year. Right, right, right. And yeah. it was, it, exactly. like, that story I'm telling you is not complete fabrication. That was a real conversation while the guy was smoking, explaining to me that he wasn't losing weight. And his personal trainer says he's working plenty hard. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Like, it's like, well, this is obviously, you know, other I guess you're. Uh, we'll have to. I'll have to get leaner than heart of palm lobster rolls. We'll have to take it back a notch. And oh, no mayo in those, by the way. That was like pure like tarragon and mustard on roasted heart of palm in a lettuce wrap. And it's like I don't know how to. I don't know how to serve you less calories, man. But if you keep stopping and getting fucking fish fillet, this ain't gonna work, you know. But yeah, it's like. But that's the type of thing, right? It's like you can't be caught up on like what's fair. What do you deserve? How are you being treated? You can't dig your heels in on that stuff. Like, you have to just understand that, like, there, there'll come a day where you're going to be alone. And 
everything you're doing is just kind of training you for that day. And like the tougher, like, I mean, I remember there was a kid at, at Alinea that was like significantly younger than me and like nothing shook him. Like just, you could hit that kid with a truck and he would just keep cooking. And I just remember being so scared of like, he's a nice guy, like not scared of him, but just like, like just being like, fuck, I'm so weak. Like I'm such a bitch compared to this guy. Like this guy, he just like, he was younger, he was driven and he just couldn't be bothered. You could be like, Hey, you are so dumb. How'd you fuck that up? He'd be like, sorry, chef, I'll be better. You know, I got it. I'll remake it. No worries. Like just no worries, you know? And just like, but like he, he, my, he had my 38 year old mindset when he was like 23 of just right. like, right. I'll put up with your shit and I'll do it, but I'm going to have this on my resume, which is going to project credibility and success. I'm going to understand how to work super clean. I'm basically, I'm basically hiring coaches to make me work clean, fast and efficient and present like a killer, except I'm actually making a teeny tiny weensy bit of money while I'm doing that. You know, it's like, it's like that was a kid who was just just taking everything the good the bad and just making it a positive and his mind was just so strong that's how i see it that's how i see it is that you can come out the other side of an and and it's so uh telling of like these experiences truly become what you end up making them not just from your behavior but like the attitude that you bring into them and how you respond to all of these interactions and bad days and good days and all that stuff. Like it's, and and it sucks that you can have people that have that same experience from the sense of like, I spent six months at blank or I worked station at blank restaurant. And like, you're talking about like those, the, the two fighter comparison, you know, like same chef, same protocol, same thing to prepare for, but just like, the process is just different and the outcome then therefore becomes different too. Yeah. When, when somebody starts explaining to me, like how they got screwed over in my opinion, like I just, I kind of like write that person off right away. When somebody's just like, Oh, like, you know, like mm, I was, a, I was about to, I was about to be chef de cuisine per se, but then it's like, it's the same as like, you know, like it would be like if somebody was like, I, I almost got signed with the UFC, but like, you know, was, I sent this one tweet and it's like, well, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, like, like, you know, I, I don't know. Like sure that stuff happens, but it's so, you know, it'd be like if somebody's like, I, I was in the Navy, I was almost a Navy SEAL, but you know, sure. like, you know, so like, I, I think like telling people how you got fucked over, like Bob and fucked over. Yep. Totally. Like, that, it's a race to the bottom of like it's it's like that victim Olympics kind of thing, you know, like who who dude, had it worse? Who I got I got sent to jail at, for burglary, and then the owner of the restaurant because I quit, uh, we had a huge fight. I had keys to the restaurant. I went in and I got my stuff. The owner said I stole a bunch of stuff. Then wouldn't sign the paperwork after I was in custody. I was released without charges, and I sued the owner of the restaurant for a crime called abuse of process, which is like, if I'm truly not afraid of you, and I'm like, I think Justin's going to kill me. So they get a restraining order, and they take your guns, and then later, so that's called abuse of process. It's beating somebody with the club of the law. And I won $10,000. Wow. But I don't, like, sit around and talk about, like, oh, I got fucked over, well, 
right? Like, I don't, like, everybody's been fucked over. Like, I was actually pretty nice. I got in a fight with the restaurant owner. I told them to go fuck themselves. Like, I'm not going to do this. I'm not, but it, it literally, like, I will tell you, the fight began over pork. That's how dumb this was. They were paying Damn. up for this, like, from uh, DeBraga. They were buying this, like, really expensive pork. And we had a line cook from Mexico who had a disabled son. And I showed the math where if we switched to a much lower grade pork, we could actually afford to buy him insurance. And the owner's like, no, I like the pork we buy. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. I like serving nice pork too. But I like getting insurance for an autistic kid more. And that was the beginning. It was about a month later we got like a huge blow up. And I was just like, fuck you and your fucking pork. And like gotten a huge blow up. And so I went, I like left. And then I had keys, and I went and got my own stuff. And she called the police, said I took a bunch of stuff that wasn't mine. And then would not sign when the district attorney was like, we have him in custody, press charges, felony burglary. She's like, oh, felony. But I thought it was a... So then I was released without charges. Yeah. But, but like, my point is, like, that shit's going to happen. Yeah. Right? Like, you're going to get fucked over. But, like, that's not... That shouldn't be your opener. Right? right? Like, you should, like, like... And also, like... I, I've been laid off and I've been fired, but I've been laid off. I never told people I was laid off. I was always embarrassed when I was laid off because it was like, no, COVID, everything's different. But yeah. I always felt like you never, you're, they're never like, well, Justin's killing it. And John kind of sucks. And we got to lay somebody up. Laugh, Justin. You know what I mean? Like, it's always like, you know, it's like solving for something coming, you know? Right. And so, but, but like, as I like talk with younger and younger cooks, there seems to be this like, badge of honor and having been like victimized or being fucked over and i'm just like no like that's not no like that's not good like you want to be the person who's like huh no i'll be fine like give me a chance like whatever like i get it if you're like telling a sob story because you're trying to like you know if you're an edge case it's like well we'll give him a shot he's had a hard tale but like i've met a couple like uh, like maybe like four or five like really young cooks who like really want me to think that they had this like uphill through the snow both ways couldn't catch a break tail and i'm and like maybe they have but like you know that's not attractive to me i'm not like oh i want to hang out with this person more i certainly don't want to work with them you know i want to listen to that shit all day like i had trials and tribulations of my own man 38 years old and divorced you know like that's shit, shit happens. <laughs> that's like, shit the, happens. a thousand percent. That's the the reverse of the question that I had for you, which I'm calling a it's like a meta question. So you've run kitchens before, you've had these young, ambitious chefs apply an interview to work with you. And as I shared with you, like that's a lot of the audience that's listening to, to the show. When you ask them interview questions, if you're not looking for, I played the victim, XYZ types of things, and feel free to use examples that come to mind, what do you look for in the answers that these people are giving? Or maybe some example questions too. Yeah, I mean, so there, I was the chef de cuisine for the restaurant group that had Lartizi, Delanima, Lapicio, and Anfora, which was great to get fired from Delanima. So I ran their entire commissary kitchen, did all their prep. We had a big 5,000-square-foot kitchen in Long Island City. 
And at the time, I think I had 70 cooks in the commissary. So it was a big operation. Wow. Uh, my wife at the time was allergic to the Allium family, onion, garlic, shallots, chives, leeks. So we were at five guys one night getting a burger, which was like we would sometimes like, like we would, we would go to five guys like to celebrate, like when we bought our apartment or something mm. like that, for whatever reason, like a goofy thing. And I forget exactly what happened, but there was like an issue with her burger. And I went up to the woman at the counter and she was just like, huh? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, we'll make you another one. And there's this like young cook behind the counter who like kind of came out and around it and kind of realized like the, the translator was useless. And he's like, hey, sorry, what what happened? And we're like, oh, like, and he's like, oh, okay, onions, got it. I'm going to clean the whole thing. And like brought it out, and he like set it down in front of my wife, and I said, do you want a real fucking job in a real fucking kitchen? And he's like, yes. And I hired that kid out of Five Guys for that. For uh, anybody who hasn't know. been to Five Guys, that doesn't happen at Five Guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was so impressed. I was like, that was great, right? Um, and I hired that kid. His name was Mark. He, he did all right. He did he did well. We ended up um, we ended up sending him from the commissary to one of the restaurants, and I I don't know how long he left there, but uh, I think working at a restaurant in Manhattan, I think he had issues taking the shit you got to take, right? I think I, I think. Because he, I remember, I remember he wanted to come back to the commissary, and I told him no. Like you don't, you don't get to move back home, man. Right. Like, figure right. it out. You know, like I, I was hoping, like I was hoping he's gonna be like, you know what? And you know, I, I God, it would be interesting to find out where he's at now. But um, you know, the, I remember, like I created kind of like a womb like environment for him there because I really wanted him to be successful. And then I think we sent him to Lapisha, and the chef at Lapisha was, she was tough. Like her and I, like, woo. like we weren't hanging out. Like right. we were, we were like, well, you know. <laughs> and I think, I think maybe because, like, maybe because he was like kind of my guy, he got drummed out of there. I, I see. But like, how impressive would it have been if I was like, now yep. he's the chef of ah, yeah, slipped yep. from his from his little fingers. But you know, the biggest thing I always looked for was like enthusiasm. That's what I cared about. Like. I, I trained probably a dozen African dishwashers from Senegal to go from dishwashers to prep cooks. And one Chia ended up working the line at, I think, Larkuzzi, and then later went on to other restaurants. But, like, that was just because those guys are just standing around washing pots. Like, what are you doing over there? Like, I'll show you to butcher chickens. Like, you want to learn to butcher chickens? You want to make ravioli fillings? You want to work with pasta crisps? Uh, and so we actually ended up building kind of a, a culinary school in there where they would like make stocks and then, and then like eventually these cooks would be at the restaurant and they'd be like, Oh, I have familiarity with that. I have familiarity with that. I have, Oh, I used to make that pasta. I used to sheet that out. I made the stock for that. And they actually made really good line cooks. Um, and that was something I was really proud of, but it, it was all about enthusiasm for me. If somebody was really enthusiastic, you could work with that. Um, I never really, not to say there's not space for people that just want a paycheck, but like one of the things, you know, there's all, you know, I think as long as there's been restaurants, there's been push-pull between front of house and back of house. But a good restaurant, the type of restaurant I always wanted to work at, you could go to anybody in the back of the house and say like, what do you do? And they'd finish it. And the mm. issue that we had at like maybe the sub Michelin or the Michelin recommended or the one Michelin star restaurant 
that gets cleared up at the two and three star joints is if you were to ask some of the front of house, what do they do? Most of them don't say I'm a server or a bartender. They say I'm an actor, I'm a musician. You know, and it's like, well, act like you give a fuck about this job, you know? But, and that's, you know, that's, but, but that's what we're talking about, right? We're talking about like enthusiasm. We're talking about care. We're talking about professionalism. And I think when you meet somebody and they are aspiring to do something that's further down the road than they are, like that's kind of where like lightning strikes and like, you know, I'm really proud. I've made, I've made a few really good chefs in my day and I'm really proud of that. I love those guys, you know? And, um, you know, if it wasn't for COVID, they'd be doing a lot more than they're doing now. But enthusiasm, just be super enthusiastic. And like, even now, you know, I'm, I'm relentless with like dad jokes, you know, like I'm just, I'm so relentless. I'm so enthusiastic about everything. I train a lot. I work hard and I'm really excited when I meet like a young cook or anybody who just is there to get after it, you know, and just really understands that like, you're only going to have, like you have, let's see, uh, 250 work nights a year. You probably have, you probably have 200 really bad nights a year. You know what I mean? There's probably... Okay. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you do the math. If you're in a restaurant for 20 years, you probably have 200 awful nights. You know, like... Yep. Probably, like, 15 a year. Sure. That are just like, fuck do I do this for? Like, Jesus Christ. Like, everybody's <laughs> flipping on banana peels. What the fuck? You know, like, just... And, like, the people that are like, I just want to get those out. Like, let's just get after it. Let's see, it's tonight or night. You know? Um... Like where just the kitchen goes down, and and if you can just understand that, just like, like, you want to experience it all, like the good, the bad, and just to not, you know, one, when I was at public one night, one day, we were making stock, and it boiled over, and the whole pot caught on fire, right? Like the whole like raging, and the sous chef, his name was Sun, is this uh, Chinese kid from Baltimore? It was very like he looked really Chinese and he had like a Baltimore accent <laughs> but he was awesome he was dope I loved it and he's like come on bro come on come on come on we gotta get this down so the Ansel system doesn't go up and we like put it off and set it on the floor and I mean this thing was like a blowtorch and I'm like maybe and then he was like all amped you know he's like all oh. and then he was just like man and then like he came up to me later and he was like god that was a pretty bad kitchen fire huh <laughs> I was like yeah I don't know so, you know, he's like I was like I gotta keep my cool so this kid doesn't see me freak out and I remember thinking like ooh alright cool good like, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. I'm, glad he, I'm glad he broke the third wall for that you know or fourth wall sure but it's like like just be enthusiastic have fun and just be there for everything and don't like cut people slack like you make mistakes they're gonna make mistakes and like your job is to your job is to like make a really delicious tuna tartare and at one point six are going to go out for an event and the sous chef's going to take a bite and he's going to be like, there's not a fucking grain of salt anywhere near that. And you're going to be like, his job is to manage and there's going to be times he's going to fuck up just like you didn't put capers in that and he's going to treat you a little unfairly. If you don't want to be fired the first time you forget to fucking use a brioche bun instead of an oatmeal bun 
you can't freak out and go to HR and try and get this dude fired the first time he calls you a fucking moron. You know, like, there needs to be an understanding that, like, like, I mean, as an almost 40-year-old man, I look back at sous chefs and I see children. Some old. And, like, I remember looking up at sous chefs and seeing, like, Wiseman. You know, right, like, right. but that's just, that's just the progress, right? Like, this guy managing you who, like, you look at as, like, this terror who's ruining your life as a child. Now, that's, there is still one sous chef who tortured me, who I still do actually literally want to fight. And I've tried to set traps. I invested in a <laughs> restaurant a restaurant in San Francisco, and I tell Chris Blydorn, who I was his Comia at Alinea. I'm like, I will come and do a tasting menu, but I also want you to invite this unnamed person. And we will do the tasting menu. And after the last service, I'm going to fight him. <laughs> so far, we are yet to, but it, I will do it. I will stream it live on Facebook. Guy Fietti can monetize it, and we'll give all the money to the food service industry. It'll be for a good cause. But having said that, you know, cutting people who are abusive to you some slack. Now, like, obviously I'm joking, and I'm trying right. to add levity to it, you know? Right. But, like, that kind of sounds preposterous for me to say I want to beat somebody up who was mean to me 13 years ago, right? Right, right, right. Yeah, but I still kind of do. But I know that, like, my life would be better if I was like, ah, he was a child. Yeah, yeah. It's a coked-up child who had his own insecurities. You know, but, but like, that's my advice to people is, like, be enthusiastic work really hard, work really hard, and understand that, like, you're going to fuck things up, and so are your managers, and it, everything can't be, everything can't be the end of the world, and, like, the more, like, the more unshakable and steady you can be, the more impressive that is to management, because you're like, oh, I can give this guy responsibilities, mm -hmm. right, like, this guy's not a, not a fucking crybaby, he's not somebody that I need to really be kidding. Like, he's not, you know, like, the first time, like, a chef or a sous chef, like, makes, like, kind of an inappropriate joke in your station, you kind of feel like, oh, cool, this guy trusts me, right? Like, it's like, oh, nice, like, we're becoming friends, you know? And it's, it, it's like, I, I also think that, like, people, certainly when I was working a hot station, it was hard, and the stakes were high. And if somebody fucked up, it set the entire kitchen back. People had to refire stuff. So, like, a lot of that is going to be frustrating. A lot of it is going to be, I want my eggs over meat. Oh, fucking me. Fucking pain in the ass on table 62. You know, there's going to be shit that's just going to suck. Like, can you do an egg white omelet? We'll throw it on the menu. Well, you should do it. Yeah, it's like... So, there's going to be these frustrations. And a lot of the hazing, a lot of the bullying... Is because you don't want to let somebody mentally weaken that brigade who's going to fold like laundry when the pressure's on, right? Like, you can't have somebody just be like, this is too hard. Why are, like, what? I need to go talk to the manager. Why'd they sit all these tables at once? It's like, whoa, dude, fucking hold on. Take half your tickets and slide them over here. Do these. Like, you need to be able to fucking focus. Like, it's not about the manager. What do you mean? Like, that is not your concern. You are bottom of the food chain. I, that's not my concern. I'm a worker bee, baby. I'm a fucking worker bee. You know, but, like, you need to make sure that, like, people can handle a certain amount of stress, discomfort, frustration. Because, like, we've all seen people melt down on the wall. Totally. Like, 
you know, all of a sudden it's Karen with a clipboard who's going to get the manager and pull the manager who's been managing restaurants for 30 years and tell them they can't sit the restaurant all at once. And she's going to be like, I didn't sit them all at once. Talk, talk to talk to your when your printer was up, you know, or whatever. It's like this whole emotional thing. And like part of like that's kind of was it good or bad? I don't know. I know that I know that it it toughened me up. It didn't I mean, kill this, me. It's this element of the the seem to lab anti fragility concept, right? Where it's like yeah. people that crumble, and then the people that beat those people, the crumblers out, are the people who can overcome that adversity. And then there's the anti fragile people who, when you throw problems at them, they actually become stronger. Don't fuck with that person, <laughs> you know, because they're gonna <laughs> like. You don't have a chance. You don't stand a chance against the anti-fragile person. So it's like, how do you cultivate that in the context of working in a restaurant? Because if you can, I think you and I are both agreeing that it's just like, then your options are, you don't have to be scared about going from two-star to three-star or doing that first pop-up or whatever because it's all these little elements kind of like tying in. Yeah, and, like, it's also, there's nothing wrong with failing. There's nothing wrong with, like, I mean, if you go to a, sign up at a jiu-jitsu gym, like, you're not going to experience any success for three months. You can get smashed. Like, I, I had a wrestling background, so it was, like, a little less boring to me. But, like, I still get smashed. You know, I train with Marcelo Garcia. I've trained with Marcelo Garcia hundreds of times, which means I've been smashed hundreds of times. Like, that guy, that guy, as much, as much, sparring as i've done it's hopeless with him it's just a matter of time like it's just it just might take him a little bit longer to strangle like it's hopeless it's inevitable it's doomed and it's like don't like you can't you can't expect that like like rome wasn't built in a day you know like you have to you have to just get after it and take the lessons that are in front of you and like not worry about it like nobody nobody ever really regrets like competing nobody ever really regrets doing a pop-up like i mean now like you know you could have sure. some shitty article written and not be able to get like you know but like but that's, that's always that. the first scene of the documentary on that chef you know you yeah, watch any, right? anything yeah. about wiley dufresne like they start the documentary with his negative articles that someone in new york wrote about his concept that he tried you know and it's just like yeah that much sweeter at the end you know like yeah like my my nephew now knows what like cauliflower you know he's seen some ufc fights he's like oh like your ears you know and so he wanted to learn to wrestle because he finds you know like that to be something of value that you know i think he thinks if his ears look like that people won't pick fights with him which i was like dude people still pick fights with him like it's like i like i like People for sure are going to pick fights with you. Um, so I took him to a wrestling place. And he came up to me. He's like, Uncle Stevie, I don't like wrestling. And I was like, nobody likes it. It's fucking terrible. That's why we do it. Right? Like, no, like that's, that's, nobody likes working in the kitchen. That's why we do it. We do it because we find peace and serenity in the chaos and the violence. Right? Like, that's, like, there's something amazing. And then, like, you know, like, I... When I was a young, I mean, there's a chef named Chris Lee. He's a very good friend of mine. He's like a little brother to me. 
uh, and he and I lived together after culinary school. And uh, it was after I was a sous chef at La Spina, and it was right as I was like uh, taking over a restaurant from him. And I would have, I would have girls over that I met online or that I met in the restaurant, and I would cook them. And I remember one time he was like, "That's a real skill to be able to like have a girl come over, whip up a dinner, and then you know, like hopefully, you know, sure. uh, you know." But I cooked dinner for so many girls that like just doing a dinner for somebody became like a eh, no big deal, you know. And I think like that any way you can get those like like in a gym we call it like mat hours, like sparring, right? Any of those because like there's a difference between like. There's nothing wrong with picking herbs. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, you do what do what somebody will let you do. You know, do you want to do a lot at a good restaurant or very little at a great restaurant? You know, like I mean, one night, like I, I, I think I think the more you can like more extracurricular stuff where you can like cook someone dinner is great. And like now, like cooking dinner for somebody is is really it's I'm there's not one part of me that's concerned about like am i going to be able to put out a dinner you know and i think it's it's very fun there comes a point where you know first comes accuracy and then speed mm. right so like first you want to know how to do things right and then you get fast enough and i remember adelinia uh grant leaning in being like if you ever want to work here you need to learn to work really fucking fast and i was like yes chef. He goes, no 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 like orders of magnitude beyond where you are now. And I was like, oh, whoa, I already thought I was fast. And he's like, yeah. you're not. <laughs> you know, one night he came up to me and he said, do you know how to cut hair, chef? I said, no, chef. And he said, you should learn. You should do anything but make people's food. You're truly awful at this. <laughs> I was like, oh. I, think, I, I believe I cried in the downstairs bathroom and washed my face. And I came up and I think it was Chris Blydorn. He was like, didn't know if I was gonna see you back here. It's like that was rough. <laughs> you know, but like that was, that was like I was a child pursuing my dream. And he right. was like he was like, you should learn to cut hair. You're truly awful at this. Don't don't you should never make people do it. You know, but but like I think I think like the more reps you can get in on something, the better. Like cook people dinner. Like cook your family dinner. Like try like do as much of that shit as you can and then you'll start to see like oh fuck like i i want to sous vide the ribeye ahead of time and just be picking it up like i want my purees done like i don't want to be pureeing shit between courses like you'll start to learn this order of operations and then you'll and, and that's mirrored in your mise en place right you're not making purees during service or i mean if you are things have gone horribly wrong and grant's gonna tell you you should look for a new job that was actually that's like literally what was happening i think we were i think I think I made the, if memory serves, I made the black truffle explosions wrong and they all popped in the water. Oh my God. And he was furious. furious. We were there, sheeting out pasta during service. There, there's an important nugget in that though, from the sense of, I think that there's this, um, you see it when people think that there's this element of being able to um, cook from a cookbook through enough dishes or do the same thing you know, the stereotypical, like, make hollandaise, poach eggs, cook protein, cook a piece of fish, whatever, enough times at home where that then should count towards their mat hours. But I think what you're saying, and what I would certainly agree with, is that there's this element of, like, they, there needs to be stakes involved. 
Like, there needs to be negative consequences yeah. from failure. Like, there needs to be uh, feedback. Like, there's something there that's missing from this idea that you can take a non take two nonstick pans, put them on your stove, and just, like, become a good brunch cook after a week. Yeah, I think, I think what – I think you make a good point, right? Like, like what makes a good cook? Like, I don't think there's a recipe. Like, no pun intended. Like, I think that it can come from – like, humans are capable of, like – incredible things and i think it can come from anywhere but you have to want and i think that like making like having friends over and like but like it can't be the thing where they're just watching the super bowl when the food's up it's up that's not real life so like when a girl's sitting across from you and you're trying to impress her like she can tell if you're in the shits or not and that's good you know and like it's somewhat low it's somewhat like low consequence like right. I, in the grand scheme absolutely it depends on your goals for the yeah, evening yeah, yeah. but totally. you know like it but i think i think exactly what you're saying right it's like it gives you an opportunity to do an audit afterwards and say like well what right. wrong? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah oh like you know and then you you start to you start to understand that like oh okay so like what do i really want on a dish well i want like a starch two, three veggies, a sauce or a puree, a protein, and some garnish. Okay, cool. So what do I have? And then eventually you'll get so comfortable. You're like, oh, you grew up in Cincinnati? That's crazy. Oh, okay, <laughs> I got a pumpkin right here. You know, it's like you'll start to just get, and then the confidence that comes with it, where it's just like, why would you put pumpkin pie filling with Arctic chai? And you're like, oh, like, you know, in Iceland, they do a lot of, you know, pumpkin sure. pies. You know, you'll start to realize, like, oh, I made a mistake, but, like, maybe I can pull it off. And with enough credibility and confidence, they'll be like, wow, this is good. You know, and then you start to play a little. But you can't skip steps. You can't, like, be playing while, like, a pan is scorching behind you. Because people are going to be like, what? what the fuck is wrong with you? Why would yeah, you yeah. put pumpkin pie? That's not right. Yeah. Arctic char. You know, why would you put beets and caramel together? That's gross. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, we've all, like, we... Most of us, I mean, I shouldn't say we all are most of us, you know, like there are concepts that work very well together, right? Like why, like salt and acid, fat, you know, acidity cutting through the richness. But then there's like times you want to break that rule, right? If you have like a really awesome, if, you know, we almost always want to pair like acidity with fat, right? Like pretty standard. If you're going to make me a burrata salad, I'm probably going to expect a really acidic, dressing on the greens with it or whatever right but like you're gonna do that so many times and it's gonna become formulaic and i bet justin if i came over to your house for dinner and someone from up the road was like my grandma made this burrata you might put no vinegar with it you might be like i want it to be over the top creamy rich. there's no like right and wrong way to do it and that's what's incredible but like until you until you know the rules you can't break them and a lot of people want to be in that rule-breaking phase because that's cool. It's cool to see fucking – it's cool to see, like, Wiley Dufresne break a piece of clay on the table and there's a steak in it. You know, you're like, what? You know, like, that's awesome. Who doesn't want that? But until you, like, know how to cook a steak, you certainly can't cook it in a piece of clay over four hours, you know? And, and it's until, like – you know, I, until I was working in a restaurant and, and they had a salad that was literally disgusting. And I went, like, I went to, like, the chef and I was like, the, like, the fuck is this? 
this is inedible. Like, if you watch your dish pit, you will see it's piled up with this terrible carrot salad. And she was, like, somewhat in defense of it. And I was like, let me taste the vinaigrette. And she's, like, starting to get, like, indignant. And I was like, taste the vinaigrette. I was like, this is, like, pure vinegar. Like, you need to do three to one. They're like, well, we do three parts vinegar, one part acid. I was like, nobody does that. Or three parts acid, one part fat. I'm like, nobody does that. Like, you don't have to reinvent the fucking vinaigrette. Like, this is settled science. And then, like, when I traced it back with the executive chef of the whole restaurant group, because it was, like, a thing. Like, we'd have a meeting about it. And he was like, well, we use this. That same dressing came from another restaurant with an avocado salad. And I was like, say that again. And he's like, we used to put that on an avocado salad. I was like, say that again. And what are you putting it on now? And he's like, mm. And everybody realized they fucked up. And I was like, but, like, what emperor new clothes world are we living in where <laughs> – People are like taking it by the cell, like uh, it's coming back unmolested, and people are like the diner's wrong. Like, so that's like an example of like this chick running the restaurant. Like, she hadn't put in her like she got promoted because she was nice and she was a good teacher, but like she had not gotten the shit. Like, it was so bananas to her that I was like, this salad is disgusting. She was like, you're in my home. And I was like, kind of, yeah, but let me get the fuck out of my way. Where's the dressing? Like, oh, oh, perfect. Wonderful. I know what went wrong. Where's the me so I can explain to him so we can pull his moleskin out and I can scratch, I can <laughs> scratch out the three and the one and write the three and the one in the right places. And like, no, 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 we make it three parts vinegar to one part acid. I was like, whoa. Yeah. You know, but... It was because they just moved that recipe from a, their sister restaurant where it was an avocado salad, which obviously an avocado is providing that excess fat. And it's like, oh, that's how, oh, the sweetness of the avocado, that's nice. You know, but like that was an example of somebody breaking rules they ought not break. And that was an example of somebody being promoted too quickly. And that was something that my own personal flaw was I was never able to get over that this person's perceived disrespect, their response to me, then me being having the moral high ground and being right. And then me kind of twisting the knife on them as a sign of my immaturity when I was 31 years old. And I had a big role in a big restaurant group and like kind of poisoning my own water. You know, I, I was just like, that person doesn't know what they're doing and I want to see them fired. Sure. Which is like a terrible position for me to be in. And it backfired. Like I was the one that ended up leaving the restaurant group. And that was a point in my life where I was like very angry in general. I was like kind of like an angry cook. And like I wish I could go back and just approach so much more of that with love, compassion, and, and patience. And like for a long time, I think I, in my head, if I drew a picture of a chef that was great, he was scary, he was barking. And like these days, like, I think it just, I mean, I hope it comes with age and maturity and confidence. And like, I don't think I need to like, I don't need to intimidate anybody. You know, like I'm, and I don't even like, for what? Like, so that they'll do what I say. Like, I I mean, if you have a better idea, let's hear it. Let's do it. Like, fuck, awesome. Like you come from, you come from another part of the world and you do a different, all right, let's see it. Like, let's see it. You know? Um, and I, I think a lot of people are very worried that like somebody's going to, impress management and take their job and like that doesn't really happen like if you got fired like if if you got fired it's because they wanted to fire you it's not because justin's better than you. you know like 
there's room for like a really awesome kick-ass line cook along with a great sous chef who maybe mechanically isn't where that line cook is but i don't really give a fuck how mechanically good a line cook is like great i mean i do like that's wonderful but i'm not going to get rid of an excellent manager who always makes sure to tell somebody to clean the walker someone who makes sure that they have delegated properly and that the inventory is done someone who is diligent and spot checks the inventory to make sure people aren't just lazily writing 145 pounds of coffee you know somebody who like like to look at a good mechanic on the line and think like, oh, that person might take my job is crazy. But in the moment, we all fear it. Everybody has a human fear of being replaced. Sure. The more you can get away from that fear, like the better your career in life will be. The more you can like understand that like people get fired not because they're not good at their job, but because their attitude sucks or they're combative or they create problems, which is like a pitfall that I have had. You know, I've been very combative. I've been very happy to engage in conflict very willing to show people i was right and they were wrong and like having been on the other side of that like nobody fucking cares like i don't care who was right in an argument from four days ago i look at both of those parties like you're such children i don't fucking care i don't like i literally can't tell you how little management cares over who was right and who was wrong if two people get in an argument and 40 minutes later, I see him fist bump and go back to work. I'm like, oh, fucking awesome. Like, I, I, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a fucking schoolyard referee. Nobody right. cares. But we get so caught up in, like, I was right. Like, I was right. That ticket, it said that. Like, oh, you know, and, like, she wrote in no beats. But, you know, it's, uh, like, you're, you're going you're gonna to give yourself, like, you're just aging yourself. And it just people like let go of like who was right who was wrong and even if you're wrong but like i mean i wouldn't like you know i wouldn't like oh i was wrong i wasn't but the more you can just like let go of shit and just do your job and just when you're you know we all kind of want to or certainly i did want to like steal time with like senior people and like oh hey chef like you know hey just the way you liked it you know Mm. like more like the way to connect with like senior people is like just ask them real questions you know like hey chef you know in culinary school they taught us to do it this way we do it this way like what like what what makes you want to break that rule it's like oh like here's why like this is an avocado salad so we use more vinegar and like if you take a bite of it like you'll see you know like hey chef like i noticed that it's like really specific in the menu to finish the vinaigrette with salt why is that oh because because when it's a fat rich environment, the salt won't dissolve. dissolve. So we put the molding in and you'll get that crunch when you eat it. Oh, but like that's the shit the chef wants to talk about. He doesn't want to fucking see your new way of Or hear that meat. you did it ten minutes faster than the other you know what I mean? Definitely doesn't care because <laughs> if it's not fucking perfect, he's gonna freak out on you. So you're like, Why the fuck did you care about the time? You know, like that would be like it would be worth a kid distracting <laughs> me and bragging just so I could rip them apart later you know like and like you're almost setting yourself up i remember i was joking around having a grand old time and brad farmier from public and double crown and zach's and pearl called me over and said if you're not set up by 501 i'm gonna fucking freak out on you 
Okay, so uh, like if you're not like if you like I'm a fucking freak out. Like, like so you know, like but yeah, I, I I think a lot of this stuff comes with perspective and you know, my grandfather used to love my grandfather's favorite saying was you can't put an old head on young shoulders. You know, like a lot of it is like you're gonna make you're gonna make silly mistakes. And there's going to be times when, like, you think you're impressing somebody and you're going to be really fun. And it's a very – when that room starts spinning and you realize, like, you're the butt of a joke, it's like – but, like, good, right? Totally. Like, just don't That's one of your out, 200 like, nights, right? Like, that's one of your 200 yeah. days, you know? Scratch it off, like, like yeah. on your wall of exactly. jail, yep. you know, yep. like your hash mark. Exactly. You know? I, I want to yeah. – I mean, it's all – we could, I could listen to your stories for literally <laughs> three more hours. Um, I want to switch gears really quickly and then wrap it up with rapid fire questions. Is that cool? Sure. We've, I'm curious to hear your thoughts because we've seen, I've seen, I don't know if you've noticed it in the New York scene, of chefs prioritizing nutrition for themselves, even to the extent of restaurants working with nutritionists. To design staff meals for the team what is your take on that and do you have any specific takeaways that a sous chef who's listening could potentially bring into their team to adjust what they eat as part of their day from what you've learned in in nutrition yeah so i mean i guess i'll um so i worked with the company that did a big hamptons nutrition thing a few times and uh no i think i think there's two aspects right there's the the execution of the reception so if somebody's you know and i've worked with alcoholics and drug addicts through alcoholics anonymous for a long time you're not going to make somebody get sober who doesn't want to get sober you're not going to make somebody get healthy doesn't want to get healthy so you kind of need both of those working in tandem um i think that like you know i i think that's fantastic if people are working with nutritionists and things but i the best the best way I can describe it is I can kind of sum it up pretty quickly and give you more of a, a holistic way of looking at things than a lot of people have looked at it. So weight gain is really – like I don't really focus on vitamins, minerals, things like that. But like most of us cooks, our diets are like we get that. You know, we're, we're eating broccoli raw. We're eating arctic char. We're trying caviar. We're eating foie gras. We're kind of – you know, we have a rounded – I mean I hope fucking mm-hmm. hope if you're a chef. You know, you're not eating the same six things every day. Um, but there's the also this element of, of like you're you you might eat one meal a day. You know, so like yeah, to well, potentially for sure, optimize for, sure. for that. You know, like that yeah. just interesting, yeah, kitchen things. Well, so one of the big deals is like it, it, in solving what I solve for mostly is is weight, scale, right. weight, and body fat percentage. Okay. So uh, one of the big enemies of weight loss is insulin. Um, bodybuilders will actually inject themselves with exogenous insulin because it just makes your body hoard everything and grow. And like, you know, we all know that like you should need a big meal before bed. Why? Right? Why? So it all boils down to blood sugar. So let's say you have an ambient blood sugar of um, 65. If your blood sugar hits like 120, your body will release insulin to prevent you from going into diabetic shock. Right. And that's the issue with diabetics, right? They can't manage it. So they have to add insulin. Um, so there's a few ways your body will release insulin, and there's a few ways we look at glycemic index and how it 
translates to blood sugar. So you have simple carbs, complex carbs, refined carbs. Um, first and foremost, blood sugar is gasoline. It is the fuel your body wants to run on. Body fat is coal. It doesn't really want to run on it. It's hard for it, right? Um, and a, a really good way to use it, like a lot, of, you know, a lot of people like doing ketosis. A lot of people like doing. A lot of people like ketogenic diets. A lot of people like gluten-free diets. A lot of people like intermittent fasting. To be honest, like having worked with, I mean, I've worked with so many fucking people. Um, often those things work because now that person is doing something, whereas previously they've done nothing. Interesting, right? Like, I. I do ketogenic. Like I was 50 pounds overweight. I did the ketogenic diet. I lost 30 pounds. Well, you might have lost 30 pounds doing intermittent fasting. You might have lost 30 pounds counting calories. Like now you implemented a form of discipline, right? And that's not to knock anything. Like people should fucking try everything. But people often will experience success with one thing and treat it like a religion, right? right like right. But you also which, never know the alternative unless you're willing to put that weight back on and then do the, you know. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, who the fuck would do that? I wouldn't do that. That's crazy. Like, you know, like, y'all can figure it out for yourselves. The ketogenic diet works for me, you know. But, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so really, like, what happens is there's there's two responses. One is you get your blood sugar about 80 or 90 or 100, right? Like, just under the threshold. And then let's say you drink a Coke or something like that. Your body knows that its blood sugar is about to rise, so it'll release insulin mm. to store that. Sugars from dairy seem to be much more dramatic. So it's kind of like um, like a power curve. Like you, zero to 10 grams of sugar may influence your insulin response this much, right? Well, 20 to 30, it's not double, it's 2.25. Yeah. 30 to 40 isn't, it's now it's, you know, so it gets exponentially more dramatic. And sugar from dairy seems to influence it faster. As far as simple curves, naturally occurring liquid sugars, things like honey and and uh, maple syrup, things like that seem to be better than like simple syrup, things like that, right? Mm -hmm. More refined um, direct. And obviously like sugars naturally occurring in fruit are even better than that, depending. Um, and then obviously the best are complex carbohydrates, zucchini, cauliflower, you know, things like that, right? Uh, not... You know, nobody's shocked. So it's not bad to eat sugar or have something rich or do if you're going to burn it off. And it's also not bad to eat at night if you're not spiking your blood sugar, right? Because when you enter REM sleep, your body will release insulin just the same as if you had a second meal to stabilize everything so you can get good rest. So, you know, having a grilled skirt steak and arugula at midnight might be fine. You know, like it's... It's not this, you know, I'm not telling you spaghetti bolognese at 2 a.m. and expect to lose weight. Right. Um, but as far as nutrition, you know, I, I usually think of it as, as trying to minimize, to, to a reasonable extent, unnecessary carbs. You know, I, I eat pasta, I like shit like that. You know, but, and then generally I look at overall calories, and then I look at quality of calories. You know, I, I'm a big believer in, like, really nice I mean, if you can afford it, you know, like venison as opposed mm -hmm. to beef, guinea hen as opposed to chicken, you know, uh, maybe there's a company in Brooklyn called La Para, and that's where like Danielle buys his birds and he gets them from local. And like, he'll call you like, 
you'd be like, hey, can I get 12 sassoon? He'd be like, hold on, you'll hear him. Like, Whrr! you know, and he kills them to order. And you got to wait three days, let them go through rigor mortis. But they're great birds. Yeah, you know? yeah. They're great birds. Sure. You know, but this is kind of like a privilege to be able to eat this. You know, so, <laughs> you know, but I think, you know, boneless, skinless chicken thighs, a big wedge of lemon, salt, and pepper, and sous vide at 140 degrees for 12 hours till it pulls and a can of tomatoes and make chicken tinga and put that over like a nice lovingly made jasmine rice is a perfectly acceptable family meal, you know, mm-hmm. but like, you know, throw, throw two bags of carrots in with it, you know, so that you're eating bra- carrots braised in red sauce with mm-hmm. onions and, you know, more vegetables. But, you know, as far as optimizing for like family meal, that, that's a, that's like a whole expertise that I don't have. You know, I'm very fortunate in that I'm dealing with people with means who are, Mm. you know, and a lot of, like, when you talk about, like, like what, what struck my ear, as far as family meal goes, you would hope that those people would be having diverse enough diets, but like coming into some of these people who have money and have tried everything to lose weight, you know, these women who are like, you know, just, they've had three kids, they're 48 years old, and like, they're like you don't, and they're they're as disciplined as the fucking fighters that I work for. These, I would I wouldn't dare put these bitches in a sauna. They'll ride that aerodyne until they die. Whereas my <laughs> fighters like I need air. You know, they're she's like I, Susie has a party next week. You know, like that bitch. You know, I'm just like think how much you hate that bitch. She's like I hate that bitch. You know, like those those women are tough. Those women are tough. And so like some of them, I've actually started having them get blood work done because they would eat like they would eat like cauliflower rice chicken breast every day and they get end up serious nutritional deficiencies because they're so disciplined right they're just like boom 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 and so when i start working with somebody who's like you can tell is not eating cupcakes in the middle of the night and they're not losing weight getting that full panel hormonal and blood work done is very valuable i mean they, they pay for it you know I mean, so it's i just make the recommendation but like they can if you're one of those women or men, even, I mean, anybody, right? But if you're just like very disciplined and it's not working, it might not be working for like a bevy of reasons. And one could be like really like monoculture diets, right? Like you're eating, you know, cauliflower as rice with a little bit of tomato. And like your morning every day is overnight oats made with, you know, if you're going through that, like you can end up with serious deficiencies. Um, whereas like you would hope like a young cook who's like, Oh, like we have, let's go out to bed and do a tasting menu at this pop-up. Like you should be getting enough vitamin K enough, you know, you would hope. Sure. Um, as far as family meal, that's always like, you know, I remember it's kind of funny. Actually. I, I remember eating my family meal out of a pint container at like midnight and having a chef, he was like, can I see that? And he threw it away. He's like, that's gross. And I was like, so like, whoa. Like, no, I mean, I, it was funny, right? Yeah. That's gross. He goes, that's time temperature. Yep. Yeah. Like, he's like, that's time temperature. You know, that's gross. <laughs> right? But it's like, that was like, you know, like, but so like eating out of a deli that one meal, like I, I can empathize with that. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of, a lot, you know, the question comes to like ethics and morality, right? Like ethics is kind of, wide across a, a group of people and morality is deeply personal. You have to decide is like serving food with no caloric budget whatsoever. Is that moral? Is that ethical? Is it better if 
if adding an extra two scoops of butter, if adding, if somebody's going to sit down, they're going to have four courses. If those four courses are 6,000 calories, but they taste better than if the four courses are 3,200 calories, are you okay doing that? Mm. Oh, personal question. Like, I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, but, you know, the brown butter, sage, you know, give us some, some 65, 35 ground beef for the bolognese. Like, is that, I don't know, right? Like, that's that's a real question to ask yourself. And also, like, like, who are you? Are you a fucking martyr? Are you going to let your business go out of, like, do you know better what the client wants than you like i'd be furious but like i hate when i'm like hey i'll get a diet coke like we don't serve soda or diet beverage I'm like don't fucking judge me yeah like i'll walk out of this restaurant. so like they're like you know there's that balance like sure. is it your place to tell a fat guy he can't order the asabuco yeah i don't know you know what are you his mom i don't know so that i kind of know i can only speak to my own like business model which is like as organic as possible. I don't use any dairy at all. You know, I do a lot of like, a lot of like finishing with like Japanese sake for the acidity and and I cook vegetables like very lovingly one by one. I do a lot of game meat, mm-hmm. no no dairy, very little gluten if possible. Um, and it's, it's just because that's, I, I love that. And I like doing big long tasty menus for people and I like, I like that somebody can eat a nine course tasty menu and then feel like they can go for a job. You know, they're not like their body mm-hmm. isn't pumping out insulin. They're not like, Oh, I just need to go to bed and digest this. You know, they feel like, Oh wow. Like I actually feel light and fresh and you know, and, but that, that's a choice. I made. you know, I get pissed when people, when I feel like people judge me because I want to drink diet coke. you know? So as I'm saying, like, do you, you know, that's something for people to figure out, but yeah, I mean, definitely, I would be shocked if somebody was like, oh, I've been eating at nothing but Michelin recommended restaurants and the wage just falling off. You know, like that's like even that, it sounds preposterous, right? Because the food we're producing is like not healthy food. I mean, it's healthy if you're on a fucking island. It's healthy if you need to get all your calories in one meal for the day. (laughs) You know, but, you know, but that's, that's something. And it depends on how we're defining health. You know, for me, I look at it a very narrow scope of you know, fucking Damian Maya is fighting somebody and he needs to weigh 170 pounds for three minutes. And if he doesn't, 20% of his money goes to his opponent. Like, okay, well, that that is our goal. That's very, that's a very, that's a very tightly focused goal, you know. Um, and, and you have the resources to make it happen. But, right, like you're not constrained in this realm of you know you only ha- you have to use trim plus whatever's in the walk-in kind of yeah kind that's of different. that's a that's a whole other animal when yeah, it comes totally, to family. totally that, different. That's so fun. Like that is <laughs> it is like when you make a good family meal. Like that's like that's like when that's like that moment when you're on a date with a girl and you realize she's gonna have sex with you. You're just like oh. it's you know. Like, uh, like that moment when you're just, you're just like when you're on a date, you know, and you know it's going well, and like you lean in for the kiss, making sure. Like making an exceptional family meal might be one of the best deals. I got roasted at my last job because I got so into. I was on. I would mentor the the two 
uh, apprentices in the morning and I would do all the butchery tasks in the AM. But I would also take on staff meal at the same time. And it got to a point where I was like, I would get roasted because he's like, I'm paying you way too much to make staff meal. <laughs> but yeah. it was literally my favorite thing in the world because my two favorite things I was so into was like playing around with staff meal style food and butchering. And so I got to do both at my job. So it was like chapter in my career where I was like dream job. Uh, so completely agree. Completely agree. A well executed yeah. staff meal that you're happy with and that like the team is happy with and everyone's just like, I don't know, saying thank you to you. That the one meal of the day was like truly delicious. It's yeah. Special. And I, I'm, special. I'm dating a girl now and she has a, a four and a half year old and uh, the kid's just like, you know, it's, I mean, I, you're talking to a guy out of a sec to me at 30. He's like, I don't want <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. So I still like, it's very confusing to me. This entire situation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm just like, are you sure you guys like this? <laughs> but, um, but like looking at it from a whole nother way that I never even anticipated. Like I made food for like clients. And stuff. Mm. But like the, the sense of responsibility and basically making all the food for a kid is like, mm-hmm. you like, it's made me, like, if you fuck up, like, a grown man's diet, there's kind of, like, a, wow, well, you should have Googled it, too. You know? But, like, when you, with, like, a four-and-a-half-year-old, like, wait, wait, hold on. Let me see. Like, is this round enough? Am I, are they getting their vibe? You know, and, like, you know, then it, it becomes, like, it's fun, too, because the kid, like, calls me her chef. You know, she's like, oh, my chef. You know, just like, That's oh, awesome. Awesome. And so, like, I have a little bit of credibility. It's just, like, you know, stuff that she kind of normally would probably tell people now too. But cooking for a kid in that regard has been like really mind-blowing. It's been really, really, and like I had nieces and nephews, but as weird as it sounds, it feels a little different. Um, but yeah, it's, um, I think, I think, I think I do kind of understand your question now that I've, I've digested mm-hmm. a little in the sense of like that sense of responsibility and in, in cooking mm-hmm. for a captive audience and giving them their one meal a day. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, I mean, that's, that's well, scary, just like, right? So not just that, but like, what is the, 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 in 2028, the highest performing kitchen in the world. And they run their team where the entire staff is in ketosis. Cause like they need to be performing at that level. Dude, that'd like, be a pretty, <laughs> that'd be a pretty fucking low energy station, man. <laughs> like, you, like that'd be a pretty. I mean, you'd have to do like. But what slow sort of food? <laughs> <laughs> that'd be, what sort of augmented? Not... No, no, no. Yeah. But like, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's the extreme. But like, what is the example of? This is a fully nutritionally optimized plan for the week. Uh, yeah, I think gonna... I think you would I think you would have to you'd have to come up with a holistic approach, yeah. right? And I don't know if you could do that if you're just giving them one meal. So I think something like that, if you were to say, Stephen, let's have a let's have a fun project, could you could you manage this? I would say they would have some sort of rotating menu where pieces would interlock, right? So you would do something like a you do something fun, super easy, like a big batch overnight oats. And then you would do things. I mean, obviously, you know this is. Don't quote. Don't don't put a budget to this. I we're gonna will assume not. Like, we're gonna assume this, this is how this, like, this is how you get there. Yeah, yeah, this is how you get there. You know, like. Yeah. So we do like you know sometimes kind of we do that way. 
Yeah. You know? So you do like hemp seed in it. You know, you would use that those overnight oats or whatever is a, a vehicle. You know, you do caramelized bananas with them, coconut shreds. You know, add some diversity there. Uh, and then another day, and so that would pair up with like a meat heavy lunch. Then you'd have like a, a vegetarian day where you do like egg white omelets in the morning, or maybe you do you know eight to ten. You do like uh, two whole eggs to eight egg whites to keep the cholesterol down. Make like frittata, something baked, somewhere you could have a cold meat. Separate the two, and you're gonna be like, look, you're gonna drop this into a pan, pour the eggs over it, throw in a 400 degree oven. Mm-hmm. Right. And then that day, since you've got, you know, the the good the good fats for that, maybe you do like a Japanese soup for lunch or actually I like the idea of you do something like a do something roast potatoes, meat, and then for dinner, like you could make like a really nice, very easy like Japanese soup, like a like a miso soup and let people close out the night with like a nice little pint of warm beverage. You know, and, then the, and like rotate them in and out where you're you're fitting the pieces together. But you would actually have to sit down and solve for that. You'd actually mm. have to look at the macros and say like when and, and you could optimize it, right? Like there was a time in wrestling rooms where like nobody in my wrestling rooms didn't drink water. Then they realized if they let people drink water, they'll perform better. If if we let them have high blood sugar, you'll have a better workout. If we open the windows and turn the fan on, play music, people will stay longer after class and they'll get more mat hours in. And in two years they'll be better fighters than the gym across the street who run it like Marine Corps maniacs, right? Because the 42-year-old accountant is like, I don't want to train in a hot room with all the windows closed and, and everybody yelling at me. I'll just skip training today. Whereas the people who are smoking pot and have the windows open and the fan and the reggae black. So like maybe before service, you know, you're doing higher sugar, you know, rice, mm. barley, these complex carbs, high energy meals, and then, Maybe even a dessert. Like, I don't know, jack that blood sugar up. Give you something to burn off right before the crush. Like, if it was like, yep. let's just do it in a simulation. Like, you know, you'd have pastry put their dessert out right before right before the crush. You know, totally. like little, you know, the trimmings with the little frosting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stash yeah, yeah, yeah. ice cream from the Paco Jet that was left over. <laughs> it's so great. good. You know, so that would be how I would do it if it was like, look, you, know, you have free reign the simulation how do you how do you squeeze the most performance and maintain people's attitudes right yep. when you yep. feel like shit terrible you very low frustration tolerance you know I got, so, my, I got my wisdom teeth out on friday and today i think today a little bit yesterday was like the first time that i had like what i'm calling real food like not blended uh yeah. dairy high in sugar you know like yogurt ice cream pudding kind of kind of kind of diet and it's true. Like my attitude completely changed last night because it was like the my in my food intake and it was just like my response to being able to eat something that I was excited about. It's yeah, 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 for sure. And like, yeah, I, as I'm thinking about this, I think it would be like the perfect. You could. It wouldn't be hard. Mm-hmm. You know, you would. But to like close every night with like. Something like, like, you know, like a nice, like a hot tomato soup with yeah. like, mm-hmm. almost like, like something pretty bulletproof, like a duck mm-hmm. cold tea on it, something mm-hmm. like that, that could just be garnished at the last minute. Mm-hmm. Do some, you know, you could do, you know, in the summer, you could do like a cold asparagus puree with, mm-hmm. you know, but smoked salmon on top. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Of, but, but, you know, like that idea of 
piecing those together so that you're making sure you're hitting all your marks. And you could even, you know, I mean, if you were really going crazy, you know, you'd have like little test tube racks with two shots in it, stuff like that. You know, the idea would be every few hours, give them a shot of something complex to keep that blood sugar going, which is, you know, fuel, it's energy. It's going to keep them cooking, you know, keep the crash. You know, I think, you know, keep that crash from just being so devastating, right? Like, there's a reason. There's a reason why at the end of the night, you're just like, I just, I just, uh, like, I just, like, you just, you beat me, you can scream at me, whatever. I mean, it's one of the reasons I'm, like, I enjoy these conversations with people that have your background, too, because I'm, through the, through my experience, and I, I suppose it's just how I look at professionals in the industry, I look at chefs more through the lens of athletes and potentially musicians to a certain extent than I do like artists and so I think that this idea of like taking care of your body like looking at what you do as being a performer versus like the starving laboring away artist type of thing is much more in line with kind of like how I view things yeah I think um I I I, you know I started to say it earlier like I'm not artistic at all and I view much much more as like a trade, like being a carpenter than mm-hmm. I do like a guitarist. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I think like, you know, I, I think, I think until you know the rules, you shouldn't, you ought not break. And so like, maybe, you know, I, what's art? I don't know if, if somebody, if 5,000 people had all painted Jackson Pollock's when Jackson Pollock painted Jackson Pollock, does it mean it? very few things that we're going to do that nobody's done. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I remember there's a, you know, Koyak from uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. CIA, Gerard Koyak. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you would, like, tell that guy, like, oh, I'm doing, you know, cherries with foie gras. You'd be like, that's classic. You know, <laughs> the way you would say it's classic is just, like, calling yeah, it a yeah. dumbass. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're like, that's classic. Like, right. that's classic. Like, you don't, you don't know shit. You know, and it's just, like, that's so valuable to have somebody who you respect that can do that, you know, and tell you like, that's classic, Like you're not doing anything new. And that's why I always struggled to be like, consider it like an art. Now, I guess there's, you know, there's definitely, I, I guess art is when something works and it's non-technical. I, I don't mm-hmm. know how to define art, mm-hmm. but if that's the case, like, yeah, I guess like breaking classic rules is art, but like that's got to come so far down the line. You know, and, and I think I think there's like this push pull in this fantasy, which is good, you know, but like you kinda wanna imagine yourself like already at the end. But then like as you actually get close to it, it's pretty terrible. You know, like like when when you're just a call me, it's awesome to imagine yourself as like a chef. You know, like, ooh, like I can't wait like, when I'm running a kitchen. But then when you're like a sous chef and you get promoted to exact sue. It's like, it's like that chef role. It ain't fucking cute. Anymore. It's scary. It's like, am I going to be red? Like, you know, the, the crushing gravity sinks in. And I was kind of lucky in that. I, that place that I was the executive chef at first, I only took that job because I was only, I was supposed to work four doubles and have three days off. Okay. And on like my second week, the chef kind of went down in flames and, he was like a kid I knew from culinary school, and it was a mess. And the owners were like, "Hey, we want to talk to you." He's like, no, 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 like I'm here. 
No, I, I apologize. I was working three doubles and had four days off because at Las Kina I had three days off, and I was gonna work. I was gonna work a double Thursday, a double Friday, double Saturday, double Sunday, and have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday off. And I was like, <laughs> "You're done. Well, great, sold. Yeah. I'll do that. That's gonna be great." And I ended up two weeks later having to take over the restaurant. And like, I didn't want it. I was like, "I'm here to chill, man. Like, I'm here to like, I'm here to party. Like, I'm single. I live in Brooklyn. I'm Williamsburg. Like, I don't want a lot of, I don't want a lot of responsibility." Um, but you know, I think. Like, in, in my regard, it wasn't that crushing because, like, I didn't have that much fear of it. It was when I was already in the role that I was like, oh, I'm not good enough to be in this role. And I was, like, terrified to, like, modify the menu. She'd be like, Let, like let's come up with some dishes. Like, no, no, the menu's good. Like, we just, we'll clean the kitchen really well. We'll optimize how it runs. But, like, I was, like, very afraid to, like, actually do the role that I was hired to do because that was scary to me because I was like, well, after I've been the chef of a restaurant, who will mentor? Like, mm. you know, it's like when you're a kid and you have to sleep on your own. You're like, well, who's going to cuddle me at night? And then, like, a few days, a week later, you're like, ah, this is not, like, I'm fine. I'm like, like, you know, but there's, like, this moment of, like, who's going to teach I have a very vivid memory of a guy freaking out after eating at Alinea in the kitchen. And Grant asked him, how was his dinner? And he said, it was great. I was this, I worked my entire career at a one Michelin star restaurant and I'm opening a restaurant right now. And they brought me here to celebrate. And around course 12, I realized I don't know shit. Dang. And he's like, very sad. And we're, everybody's kind of like, well, I hope you enjoyed your dinner. <laughs> you know, it's like, I, like, I can't forget that guy. Like so many times in my life, I'm like, I'm that guy. Yeah, like, yeah, I yeah. fucking, I jumped, I didn't, you know, I, I tried to rush my way through my path, and, like, the best advice, like, I was very caught up in, like, I wanted to do, I wanted to have big roles very young, and I did, I ended up, like, I mean, I was running four Manhattan restaurants at, like, I don't even know if I was 30, Yeah. yeah. but it didn't serve me well, like, I was angry i was doing all these i was behaving because i was so insecure because i ran i sprinted through my career which like again like i achieved it like i worked at a three michelin star restaurant i've worked i was the tornado at a one michelin star restaurant i was sous chef under octar noir i opened restaurants in brooklyn i was the executive chef i was the chef de cuisine for a really prestigious restaurant group that had four restaurants in manhattan but, like, I was very – I wasn't comfortable in the role, so I think I defaulted to what I thought a chef in that position who was – who deserved it, right? Um, and so, you know, like, like I've met – I met my girlfriend's kid, and that freaked me out. And she's like, I don't – like, she loves you. I don't know why you're freaking out. And I was like, well – Anybody can trick a four and a half year old into liking him. The question is, can you deserve it? Hmm. But like, can you be somebody who deserves it? Can you be mm-hmm. somebody who deserves to have a kid want to see you? It's like anybody can trick a five year old. Anybody can trick someone. And like in my head, it was like the guys who deserve to be in this role, how would they act? Mm-hmm. They wouldn't take shit. They would stand up. They would demand. 
and those all bit me in the ass. Like I made a mess of, you know, the, the, instead of like trying to be the guy that deserved it, I was trying to pretend to be the guy that deserved it because I, I rush, you know, and I, there were so many times I was like, I don't know shit. Like I'm scared, you know, and I spent so much of my life and so much of my career, like scared that I'd be exposed. And like the reality is like, I wasn't fooling Gabe Thompson. Gabe Thompson's a stud. Like he knew, like, you know, I should have just called him and been like, Oh my God, like, what would you do in my role? He would have loved to have taught me. That's why he promoted me so young. He's like, I'll mentor this guy. And so it's like, I got it. You know? And I think like, I think my advice would be go slow and just be honest, mm-hmm. be enthusiastic, be honest, be genuine, be kind. Like nobody, nobody expects you. Nobody's going to expect you to have all the answers and they don't like, that person sucks. Like people want to see themselves in people. Like they want to mentor and rub off on people and make an influence. And if you're like, unfortunately for me, I spent a lot of my career, like insecure, scared, angry, and trying to pretend. And like, I tried to pretend to be somebody who didn't need to be taught anything. And like, that's not somebody people want to mentor. Cause like, how am I going to leave myself in you? You know? And I think it's really important. Like, like I had the like toughness, like, but I had the toughness because I was pretending to be this. And if I had just like, if I had just been more vulnerable and honest, like I think, you know, it's hard to say like my career would have been better. It's like, I'm, I'm totally fine with my career, you know? Um, but I think I would have had more fun. I think I would have experienced more success. I don't know. I experienced a lot of success, but I think it would have been better. I think it would have been better and it would have been, I think I would have left places on much better terms. Mm-hmm. I think people, I think people would have appreciated having helped me a lot more than they did. Um, I think that although, you know, when I was at Epicurium, we didn't, I mean, I, we went from four prep crews doing prep and four restaurants to centralizing it. And we didn't have a single food issue. Yeah, I was very proud of that. We actually stopped freezing proteins. Like sure. we got these rotations. And so like, you know, it's hard to say that the food would have been better, but certainly I think um, it would have been a better journey and it would have been healthier. It would have been with less conflict. And I, I just think that, you know, I think it's important to really be very, I, I think most people, so in Alcoholics Anonymous, there's kind of like four groups of steps. Like they kind of, there's 12 steps and they kind of work in threes. So the second group is a self audit where you write down everything negative you've done, you refine it, and then you read it, you read it to another person, usually your sponsor. To me, that's the most important, the best part of recovery, because you go through like, you know, I stole this from my grandmother, I stole drugs, I robbed this, like you go through all your things that like shame, if we were in a, a therapeutic environment, they would say shame is the fear of rejection in the face of vulnerability. So you could have a 22-year-old gay kid, and he's not ashamed to be gay during Pride Week in Chelsea. But when he goes home to Idaho and he's having dinner with his grandfather, he very well might be ashamed to be gay. He might be worried if he tells his grandfather he's gay, turn your back on him, right? Rejection in the face of vulnerability. So, like, in recovery, we say you're only as dark as you see things, right? Why? Because, well, when that, that group of steps where you unload all your secrets – and somebody at the end, like, gives you a hug and says, like, look, like, everybody, everybody is a work in progress. And, like, keep, keep working, keep grinding, and, like, you know, you're turning into an amazing person. 
when you realize like at your absolute worst, you're still worthy of love, you become somewhat fearless. You know, there's this feeling of like knowing that like, like you kind of like all that shit doesn't matter. And everybody has their insecurities, you know? And I think that that provides tremendous value. And more and more as I get older and older, I become more and more grateful for that block, you know, that four, five, six, I get more and more grateful for that. And I, I try and embrace it more and more. And I try and live a life with more vulnerability and more honesty. And it just, everything just becomes tremendously easier. Uh, and that's not to say like, I don't get mad. I don't get angry. I don't lie. You know, everybody, everybody does all those things, you know, questions like lie to who mm-hmm. angry, but you know, one of my flaws is it's very difficult for me to stop being angry once I'm angry. Like, mm-hmm. I get, I get, it's hard. It's sure. something, and I hate it. Myself. You know, it's like being a messy cook. It's mm-hmm. like, like, you know, but, you know, you ask the best cooks. You ask Eric Repair, he's probably like, I'm a messy cook. You're like, dude, that looks flawless. <laughs> like, oh, so, you know, so it's like, by, by what standard? You right. know, it's right. like, I'm not like well, my mom where she's used every pot in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, flies and, you know you know but i still by my standard i look over at like i bet if i cook next to you i'd be like doing triple like oh you know like i'm sure you're a very tight and clean cook you I, know? Try. And, I try so like, yeah well mm. we all have flaws you know mm. and it's, it's the type of thing where it's you know part of me wants to sit here and tell you i'm the cleanest cook ever you know mm-hmm. that's my own insecurities and, mm-hmm. but like you don't give a shit we're like ah, oh, whatever bro like Totally. I mean, you might give a shit if they're station mates, but, you know, like... <laughs> but that, but, the, like, that's the thing, is that, again, hearkening back to the point you made earlier, like, I would give you shit about it, you would give me shit about something else, and then we would just, like, come back the next day Move and on. do it again, yeah, do it again. Yeah, I'd be like, I'd be like, I'm sorry that the station's messy, but your knife work, are you left-handed? Uh, no, have you I'm tried? Not. I'm not. I have Have you tried? Not, I, no, I'm not. <laughs> I throw frisbee with my left hand. There's a couple weird things that I'm ambidextrous with. Uh, I have not tried that yet. That's an interesting That's, challenge. You completely missed a joke. You'd be a good person to fuck. With. <laughs> so when somebody's cutting something, you're like, "Are you left-handed?" No, yeah. no. It's like, God, you might be. This looks pretty bad. Shit. Like, Shit. Uh, so so funny. Uh, the last chef I worked for had this uh, thing of that's peak station partner success when you guys are rousing okay. each other and you can yeah. just have like you go into service and you're just like you're talking shit about each other but it's like it's still really intense but yeah i've i've had a few good i've had one was with a guy i spoke very little spanish and he spoke very little english and the two of us used to just wreck the plancha station at la esquina this was la esquina in williamsburg outdoor dining project I mean, the the printer just never stopped. And he and I, almost zero verbal communication. And we, we just, that was like mechanically one of my finest points as a cook. I mean, we were just an inexhaustible stream of food. Like we were just erupting food. Even to the point where Oktar, who never gave any compliments, he was like, Steven, I won't tell you how you live your life. But you might want to consider marrying that man. Like you two, he's like I don't know if there's anybody else that can carry you across the picture, <laughs> the finish line. You know, like but he's awesome. like we 
But like we didn't like we didn't talk. Like we didn't like we just yeah. like we were both just like we both just looked at each other and I was like, There's nobody else I want on my station. He felt the same way. We just worked really well together and it's I, like that type of chemistry is really fun. It's very special. Like those are the things that like people I think that people rob themselves of that when they are so quick to like be unforgiving and and leave before they leave and sabotage because like somebody in the kitchen was mean to them or whatever and like like there's not everything's going to be perfect like much of work sucks which is why they pay you to do it Mm. i want to transition to some rapid fire questions and then i'm gonna let you get back to your night sure is there a book that's been particularly impactful to your career um not to my career but um i like uh i just read malcolm gladwell's talking to strangers which is a great book um i read i've read all his books um and you know i think those kind of like the ten thousand hours like that you know outliers things like that were helpful to me i remember being really relieved like, you know, you see about hockey and sports and all that and thinking, like, oh, good thing I'm in the culinary world where, like, I can just do my 10,000 hours, you know? Yeah. Like, I can just yeah, yeah, grind yeah. it out. It's my birthday. Um, yeah, no, not not particularly. Um, okay. I think I was just really lucky. Is there a technique or a I'm, – I'm going to adjust this to your expertise of, like uh, – either like athlete or type of diet that you're still intimidated by or that you would kind of see as like, Oh, this is an interesting challenge. I'd want to learn more about this and take this on. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, I think a lot of it. Right. And I, I still, you know, I've done a ton of weight cuts, but that's still scary. Like, I still feel a crushing sense of responsibility. Like, what if this doesn't go well and this guy misses weight? Like, Jesus Christ. Like, you know, you should, there's always something that's going to be fucking scary. That doesn't go away, right? Like, when you're walking into a new restaurant to stage, that's scary feeling. You know, like, to me, walking into a restaurant to stage, like, obviously the role I would be expected to fill is, like, it's not executive chef, it's CDC. So... That would be very scary to me to like stage for a CDC role at Damon would be scary. To me. And walking into stage to be a Colmi was scary. To me. And walking into the New York Open to do jujitsu is scary to me. And walk it, you know, there's always these opportunities to fail. And just doing scary things is it's so important. And always be scared, you know, like just but do it. You know, I think there's tremendous value in, like, taking a cage fight. Like, you know, there are people – you learn so much between, like, all of these disciplines. Like, you watch somebody go down in flames, and you can learn so much about them. Watch someone get their ass beat in a fight, and you could like, – like, people strike these deals where they say, I'll stop trying to win if you stop trying to hurt me. And the same thing happens to a cook when he's going down in flames, where it's just like, I'll just – you know, he's just broken. He's just all right, what's yeah, yeah, chef. You know, and it's like – I'm still scared that I'm going to fail people. And I was scared that I would fail people when I was a Colmi. I was scared when I'd fail people as a chef de partie. I was scared as a chef that I'd fail the owners. You know, and I think that's like, maybe that's because I'm a nurturer. I don't know. Like, maybe there's cooks out there that are like, I don't know. You know what you got when you hire me for fucking your problem. 
That's right. not me. I've never had that type of confidence. But I think it's like that insecurity and that fear like makes me rise to the moment. You know, like if you're you're going to get in your underwear and punch someone in their skull until they go unconscious. And my job is to make sure you make weight for it. If you don't make weight, like, I mean, I've just robbed you. Like, oh, my God. Yep. You know, so it's like yep. that's scary to me. And as far as the diet goes, with those guys, we're really just counting calories in and calories out and putting a heart rate monitor on them. So, like, unless my math is wrong. But, you know, then there's, like, the question of, like, we're going to give them a bunch of tap water, then we're going to switch to – uh, distilled water, we're going to drain them of minerals, and then they're going to get in a hot bath, and I have to be with them because their blood pressure can drop and they can go unconscious. But, like, that component is also, like, maybe I didn't give them enough carbs and enough energy during their training, and they just broke down, they couldn't tolerate the heat, and they just, you know, and it's like, that's still very scary to me, right? With the idea that I could fail somebody. Mm -hmm. um, and and I think, I think if you're a good chef, a good person, a good coach, a good anything, like, you should never be free of that fear. Um, and certainly you can't like, can't like half asset because of that, you know? Um, no, yeah. That's a, so that's, yeah, I, that's I'm kind of always scared. Yeah. Yeah. That's a yeah. I'm kind of always scared. Yeah. yeah, you yeah. Know? The... I'm not, I'm not scared when I compete though. I kind of don't give a shit about myself. <laughs> you know, I think that's, I think that's common with like chefs, you know, we'll make somebody like, you know, the edamame puree with, with a really nice piece of bread. And then we'll be like, oh, are you going to talk about it? Yeah, give me yeah, some okay. like, Yeah, I'm, yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm a terrible piece of shit. I don't so, deserve this. So true. <laughs> so true. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe this this meet, this should apply from your time when you were more um, in that kind of exploratory phase, and it, it might change your answer. But I, I like to ask this hypothetical of you somehow get a call right after this interview that you've won an all expenses paid trip to eat at your dream restaurant. And when you get there to eat dinner, there's someone you've always wanted to talk to waiting to have dinner with you. What restaurant is it? And who is that person? I mean, I, I think, I think like my, I mean, it would hard, it would be hard to like, not say like a really crazy menu at like, La Bernadette, right? Mm -hmm. But like, I really like Blue Hill at Stone Martins. I think that that might be one of the best restaurants ever. Um, and the person, you know, I'm I'm lucky in that I'm like, I'm just super aggressive, and I kind of form those relationships, like, and I just harass people. So I I get those, but I guess like, There's no criteria. It's not like a chef. I even a... say it can be living or dead. Like I'm just interested in see seeing like what what is the dinner guest that would be like holy shit that'd be dope. Honestly, I think Barack Obama because mm. I think that like I think that he's incredible, right? I think he's like very well spoken. And then you know, not to get like political or anything, but like I just I remember several times. And I, again, I'm not, like, super political. But I remember thinking several times through the Trump administration, like, how did anybody have any criticisms of Barack Obama? Like, he's, like, so polished and funny and, like, yep. you know, like, I just kind of, like, I just think he's, like, a super interesting guy. Like, obviously he is, right? But, like, I think that, I think, I think it would be cool to meet him. And I also think it would be cool to meet a lot of, um, I think, honestly, him or, like, Malcolm Gladwell. I yeah. think, like, listening yeah. to Malcolm Gladwell lecture 
-hmm. like listening to his TED talks and stuff, you get the impression that he's just bottomless. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm-hmm. So I, I think I think probably either him or Malcolm Gladwell. I think the chances of me getting dinner with Malcolm Gladwell are exponentially higher, <laughs> but still long shots on both. But. Totally. Steven, this has been great, and I really, really appreciate you taking more time than I told you this would take, but I, I, I really, really yeah. had a good time, and I, I think that everybody who's listening to this had a lot of good takeaways. Is there anything you want to leave people with? Do you want to, if people have questions, where should they reach out to you i'm obviously going to link like your instagram page and the 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 salt and acid site down below but anything you want to leave people with or direct people towards no i mean i think just no i mean if you want to reach out to me i'm pretty easy to get a hold of you can dm me on instagram or anything like that but yeah i mean i don't yeah i i mean these days i'm 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 fucking old, man. I'm old. I just, I wrestle. I do a tasty menu here and there. I saw some people's searches. I don't know that I'm a great mentor. Like, I don't have a lot of connections. There's definitely, go to another podcast and get, grab one of those people. But I'm pretty, I'm, I'm easy to get a hold of. I mean, if you, you know, if you need, if you need help with like your triangle choke, I can mentor you there. But I got a good guillotine, you know. But as far as, I think, I think my ability to pull strings in the industry is, I think those days, those days are behind me. I, I certainly hope that the, the, my audience doesn't reach out to podcast guests and ask, Hey, can you get me a job here? Or can you do yeah, that? Like, they don't yeah. even do that with me. Like I, I'm very like, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't enjoy that type of, you know, networking and all these things that we've been talking about that we hold in such high regard, like put in the hours, nurture people. Like it's about relationships and being yeah. kind and all that stuff. And, that type of interaction is just the opposite of that. Um, but I just think people, and I certainly enjoy your perspective and always hearing your war stories is always like a joy and I get a ton of value from it. So thanks again. No shortage of horror stories. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. What's up? Justin here again, because, I mean, if you're still listening, you didn't not like this episode, right? And if that's the case, I'd like to think that you'd get value from the other work that I share here online. It's all focused on helping chefs and hospitality professionals perform better. If you don't have a lot of time, the best place to start is with the email newsletter that I write every single week called the 80-20 Edge. That's where I share knowledge on sharpening your skills, asymmetric upside, and exploring the industry beyond the status quo. And I say it saves time because I include all of the content that I published that week all in one place as kind of a weekly digest of sorts. Next up, you should check out my YouTube channel for gear reviews, clips from podcasts just like this one, and documented experiences from some of the best restaurants in the world. And lastly, if you'd like to learn about my intense cohort-based professional development focused course, get coaching from me to help you make your next move, or just support the show, you can check out justinconnor.com support. And if you do support this show already, that's greatly appreciated. Thank you. Finally, it really does help to share a review of this show on Apple Podcasts to help the podcast universe know that people like us like shows like this. And until the next episode, my name is Justin Kana, and I hope you have a good one.